Hey everybody, so obviously the podcast has been on a bit of a break, but it's back now and in a big way, I would say. Since it's been a little while though, I feel like I should maybe give you a more general update on all of my projects. If all you want is the main content of this podcast, then just go ahead and skip forward a few minutes. The reason I haven't uploaded an audio podcast is because I've been recording many conversations on YouTube. The interface is just very convenient. It automatically archives. And so it's just a little bit easier for me to do more conversations. What's also been awesome about that is I've been getting a lot of engagement there. So I've wanted to keep that going. And as a result, I kind of just set this aside, unfortunately. So then, kind of out of nowhere, let's just say I became embroiled in some controversies that have suddenly thrown into question my employment status. I'm not really allowed to talk about it, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut for the moment. Although you can easily piece together the basics, I think, from some Google searching if you're so inclined. The reason I'm sharing this with you right now is because these controversies have had the byproduct of opening up some free time for me, let's just say. And whereas many academics in my position would probably be quite sad and stressed out and anxious about the situation that I'm currently in, for me, because I have all of these autonomous intellectual projects already going on all of these different platforms, I am actually quite delighted to have the time to just focus on them exclusively. So one of the things I've been doing over the past couple of weeks is I'm starting to try to get a sense of how many people out there actually really listen to all of my stuff and read my blog posts and really understand and appreciate and value what I'm trying to do. Because, you know, I've been a creative, productive person on the internet for quite some time now, and I know that people have been kind of more and more reading and listening to my stuff. But it's always really hard to know, do I have an audience that's big enough that, you know, who knows, maybe I could really focus on doing all of this stuff, maybe as a long-term project that would eventually supplant my academic career, perhaps even. That's obviously a long shot, and who knows, and it's risky, and that probably is nowhere near close to within reach. However, I mean, who knows? There is such a thing as a professional blogger, and there are people who make work on YouTube full-time, and actually even a small number of people who make more money and have more influence doing that than I even have now as an academic. So basically, it all just kind of came to a head at which, you know, if being a creative person on the internet is going to be inconsistent with my current livelihood and career as an academic, and now I have some free time falling into my lap, then maybe what I'll do is I'll just uh, test right now kind of how many people really value what I'm doing. So I sent out a bunch of messages to people who I know have been following all of my stuff for some time now. And the results I thought were pleasantly surprising. Basically, there was a good handful of people who in my first just initial open-ended messages to them basically said that they, you know, really value what I'm doing and they would be happy to throw some money to, you know, help kind of build up what I'm doing into a more serious long-term kind of project. So basically, I went and I got more feedback from 
readers of my blog and listeners to the podcast and to try and figure out what the ideal model would be that would make people as happy as possible and that might, you know, end up making all the stuff that I'm doing even more effective and significant and even financially sustainable. So basically, this is just a long personal background to the announcement at this point that I now am very happy and proud to say that I have a Patreon account and something like I think 40 people now are, you know, shelling out non-trivial amounts of their hard-earned money to basically encourage me to continue with all these different projects. And frankly, it's more than I would have expected. And so it's really inspiring me to basically say, fuck it. And right now I'm just spending basically a full-time job's worth of effort on building up these projects and making more blog posts and recording more podcasts on YouTube and then also on here, which brings me back to the audio podcast. Because after some initial discussions with my new first influx of patrons, one of the most common requests was that people really do want the audio-only version of all of the live stream conversations I've been doing on YouTube. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be converting all of my YouTube live stream conversations into audio-only podcasts and putting them here. So I just want to warn you because you might see over the next few weeks, a relatively high volume of new podcasts being uploaded. Obviously, that's not going to be a sustainable rate. It, I have a backlog on YouTube that I'm going to be posting in, in one big push over the next few weeks. I just want to let you know, you know, obviously not to expect that number of new uploads after, you know, this few weeks are over. All right. So that's about everything I wanted to share with you to update you on what's been going on. If you want to learn more about what I'm thinking and what's actually going on, you can check out my blog. Oh, by the way, I'm not even sure I've told you that yet here, that I have a new domain name for all of the blogging that I've been doing related to the themes that I talk about in the podcast. So the new blog website is theotherlifenow.com, and that's where I'm going to be blogging at a higher volume around all these different topics that I've been thinking about and talking about over the past year or two. That's also going to be a new home for the podcast. So you can find the podcasts there online if you look for them online. Otherwise, yeah, huge thanks to all of my patrons. And obviously, if any of you out there listening want to become a patron, that would be awesome. You're more than welcome to. But I also want to make clear that I don't plan on doing a lot of shilling for that kind of thing. I think I always have and probably always will have a very kind of DIY anarcho-communist kind of attitude and ethic when it comes to doing creative work and just putting out in public and keeping an overwhelming majority of it all totally free to anyone who's interested in it. And if you don't have cash, that is totally cool. Like I don't want people to feel guilty at all. Um, even if you really like all of my stuff and enjoy it all of the time, if you just don't have the cash, don't worry about it. Really, I, I really don't care. I really don't mind. I'm just grateful that you're interested in my work. All right, then I think that is about all for the housekeeping notes. I will put links to all of the things I mentioned in the description. And now I have for you the audio from a live stream conversation I had with someone on the internet named Nix Land. Nix is a writer and thinker and kind of internet personality in the larger accelerationist 
sphere, I think you could say. She presents some really quite strange and fascinating ideas in this podcast. She identifies as a gender accelerationist and a uh, lesbian neo-reactionary. So most of this is just trying to figure out what she means by those things. And she's got some really far out ideas. This was actually, I think, one of the longest conversations I've ever done at about four hours. This one clocked in. But yeah, this one is quite a ride. So I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. Yo, the people in the chat, you're impatient. Damn, you need to learn just a little bit of patience. I admit, I also need to learn a little bit better time management. I will admit it. Sorry, I'm three minutes late. But God damn. Anyway, good to see a good handful of you waiting. Um, Yeah, I was psyching myself up in the mirror a little bit. I got to get pumped for this. Basically, I just had a very interesting experience in my life. I just experienced something for the very first time in my life, which is at Ikea, I experienced what it feels like to choke on a dick. (laughs) Like, you know that, you know, that thing people say, go choke on a dick, bro. Um, I've never like sucked a dick. Uh, therefore I've never really been in a situation where I could possibly choke on a dick, but I was like, I went to Ikea to get, um, some sort of light to, I'm trying to work on the lighting in this room when I do these videos. So I went to Ikea to look for some sort of cheap light that might make things a little bit better. And anyway, as always, I'm kind of rushing to do everything in short periods of time. And uh, so I I haven't eaten anything all day. So I had to like stop and get food at Ikea, of course, uh, before I've got a light. And I had to squeeze all this in in like the hour before I was going to do this stream. So I'm, I'm rushing, right? Like I'm trying to eat really quick. And I do this all the time. I'm always like, I'm a little disorganized, I admit. I'm always rushing around. And this leads to a few common phenomena, especially with eating. Like I'm always biting my cheek when I eat. Happens to me all the time. It's terrible. Because I'm like just chewing too fast and it gets fucked up on my mouth and goes onto the cheek. But something new happened today because I was eating a hot dog. (laughs) This has never happened to me before. I guess I was just eating too fast and being careless. And uh, basically... Well, I think you can guess where this is going. Basically, I, I bit too big. I had a big piece of hot dog, probably like this big, like, you know, the size of like a small wiener, a small dick. Uh, and, and, and I didn't chew it enough. And it basically slipped down my throat, like pretty, pretty deep. I was deep throating that baby. Um, and it was scary. Like it was really uncomfortable. I thought like the feeling of choking on a dick is like, it's the feeling of if this goes down any further, I might die. It's very terrifying. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I don't know what it's like to actually choke on a dick, like a real dick. And I'm, I don't mean to be making light of sexual violence or anything like that at all, for real. But um, I, I know a little bit now about, like, what, what, that, what that sensation is, what that experience of literally choking on, on a dick would be like, roughly. Um, and I've just, I've never had that experience before. So it was interesting. And that just happened. So I thought I'd share that with you. Um, all right. So. Um, what else, as you folks know, uh, the format I've been operating on usually is, uh, for the first 30 minutes or so, I just kind of talk shit. I talk about whatever I want, tell stories, uh, give you some of my crazy ideas, try to crack jokes that often fail, whatever. Um, so if that's not for you, that's cool. Go do something else. Fuck off. Come back in 30 minutes when Nick joins us to talk about actually interesting and hopefully deep and fascinating shit. 
like all about crazy stuff like gender accelerationism. I still don't even really know what that is, but I'm looking forward to learning. And um, what else? And we're going to talk about lesbian neo reaction, but that'll all start in about uh, 20 minutes or so, about uh, 30 minutes past the hour. Until then, it's just kind of free time to chill and kick it. So look, if you're with me, you know, you can talk in the chat. Um, I'm here. You can pay close attention if you want, but I also would suggest if you find me boring, if you find this just like I'm blathering on, go do something else or, you know, put it on in the background. I like to think of my disquisitions and rants and blathering would be a nastier way of putting it as something that some people might enjoy as, as a kind of background droning uh, to what you're doing. So whatever you choose to do, however you choose to spend the next 20 minutes with me or without me, make yourself comfortable, do what you want to do, set yourself up and, and let's slowly get into this. Maybe put on some music if you want here in the UK, everyone is watching the world cup, like on the way to, um, Ikea. It's actually a really good time to go to Ikea when everyone's watching the world cup in your country. Every bar that I went past, uh, every pub was just filled with people. I actually felt a little bit of desire to be social. I felt like a slight feeling of like, maybe I should be with those people. Um, maybe that would be fun. Maybe I'd like to be a part of it. Uh, and then that went away very rapidly. And uh, yeah, here I am. So I'm glad that you're here with me um, as I'm failing to live up to the expectations of my society and the people around me. Um, all right. Is she really going to dox herself? No, I don't think Nix is going to dox herself. I think, uh, I think she'll use her avatar. Um, I guess maybe voice dox herself, but I don't think she plans on, uh, doxing herself. Just to answer that question real quick. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So, um, by the way, folks, like if I don't see a comment and you really want me to respond to it, you might just have to uh, say it a couple times. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to hopefully get it and try to respond to it if possible. Um, all right. So what else? Well, someone asked me a question recently, uh, made a, a content request, if you will. And I'm not going to give the proper delivery of this content request, but I will. I did have a thought right on, right before we started this that I could throw on the record real quick. And, and I'll try to expound on this maybe a little bit more later and maybe some writing or maybe another video or something like that. But uh, one of you asked me about marriage. One of you asked me to make something or say something about marriage. And it's, uh, I, I think marriage is uh, a, a really just insane, incredible, phenomenal, crazy thing that human beings do. I mean, as an experience, as a life experience, it's just so, yeah, insane, really. Uh, and I'd like to really explain in more detail why, what I mean by that or what I have in mind. And uh, so that is going to deserve much more thought and, and attention to, to really do that justice. But one thing I will say, uh, one sort of little tiny, I guess, aphoristic bit of insight that came to me just today, as I guess this was stirring around in my head, is that for me anyway, personally, I think that uh, I, I, I really do think that marriage is, at least for me, it, like the, the one of the best things you can possibly do. 
it's one of the craziest things you can possibly do. I think it's like really pretty high stakes thing to like, to irrevocably uh, do, you know, promise yourself to someone to irrevocably chain yourself really to a ship uh, with someone else on it. And to really take that seriously and to, with all your heart and soul, like truly promise yourself and the world that like, no matter what happens, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fight for that ship to, to keep sailing. Uh, and so I'll just say simply that in my view, and I, I need to spend more time to kind of flesh this out and, and try to help you see why I think this, but just to kind of say what I think right off the bat, I think it's one of the coolest, craziest, most profound, exhilarating, empowering, exciting, um, energizing, uh, edifying things that, that I've ever done for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I'll say that off the bat, but I'll also say off the bat that it also like brings with it some of the worst things ever to be, to be honest. I mean, because you are like locked in the ship, the, when you have problems, it's, it's, it sucks. It's like, and it gets, re- it can get really dark, really, really in a, in a bad way that you don't really know from dating because with dating, you can just break it off whenever you want in a marriage where you're really all in and you really mean with your heart and soul, you, you intend to like, no matter what, you know, keep that ship sailing and not get off the Island as it were. I don't know why I'm using all these nautical metaphors, but be that as it may, when shit goes fucked up, it's like you, you get a, a new and different type of, of, of stress and, and, and anxiety and, and, and panic kind of like, and, and it makes sense. Like if, if you're really bound to this ship for life, and, you know, maybe your partner does something really fucked up or you do something really fucked up. And, you know, you're like, you have to really contend with the possibility of like, is this going to be my life forever? Is, is my life going to suck forever because of X bad thing that my partner just did that maybe like really surprised you? Maybe a part of them that you never really saw before and, and it portends real possible trouble. If, it, if it's a serious long-term thing that repeats itself it, it maybe would make your life miserable. I mean, that, that can happen, that, that can happen. And, um, you have to have the, the confidence and the, the patience to, to, to try to work through that, um, lovingly and supportively and have, have the faith that, that your partner will do what they need to do, you know, to, to meet you halfway. And, and everything I'm saying, you know, your partner is also thinking and feeling about you. So it's like, every time some, every time there's like, the stakes are higher really is all I'm getting at. And when that's a good thing, when things are good and that's a bad thing, when things are bad, that might sound kind of trite, but that's, that's the basic idea that I've experienced. And um, yeah, in a nutshell, that's one of the, that's one of the insights, I guess that I've had about marriage, but in general, like I highly, highly recommend it. And I think like, personally, I think all the 20 somethings and 30 somethings in Western you know societies that are putting off getting married are really making a bad mistake. Like, I, th- I think it's, a, I, think, I think it's a major kind of civilization level error uh, and problem. And, and, and it's really a result of like really stupid, unhealthy and regressive, like psychologies or worldviews in, in like young adults today. Um, I think people are like way too picky. I mean, just thinking about myself, like when I was dating before I got married, you know, like one thing I think is people are always thinking about like, can they do better? You know, there's this like constant like calculation game um and people are just putting it off because they're afraid of commitment and and thinking they can do better it's this like infinite 
kind of instrumental um, calculation process. Uh, but really, actually, you're just wasting yourself away and you're you're losing the opportunity to actually um, engage in a, a really new kind of life and a new kind of mission, a totally new kind of relationship and project and, and way of being. And it's awesome. Like, yeah, you want to be careful about who you choose to marry for sure. You need to you need to be really careful. But but man, when it feels right, like if 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 you got something good, go for it. I think you know, like if you know, obviously, who knows what kind of situations you might be in. I can't give you fucking advice on this stuff. Um, it's so complicated in different circumstances. But in general, I'd put it this way: there are a lot of twenty somethings and thirty somethings who who have missed good opportunities to get married where they probably should have uh, or could have and and would probably be much better, happier people had they done it, uh, had they taken the plunge and, and did it with all of their heart. I think there's a large number of people for whom it could be said, you know, they fucked up by, by not really um, pursuing like such an opportunity at, at some point that it presented itself earlier uh, because there's just, there's, yeah, that's my two cents. I'm not being normative about it. Like there are definitely lots of people who maybe just don't want to get married. Maybe they're just like being alone, all these sorts of things. Um, obviously that's fine. There's lots of individual cases. I'm not, you know, saying that you, everyone absolutely has to do it. And if they don't, they're evil. I'm just saying someone asked me my opinion about marriage. So I'm giving you my thoughts, just some of my thoughts about it. Um, yeah, actually, I mean, I, I guess I said a lot there. I, I guess I, I dumped out a fair number of things I think about it. Um, but it is a close, it is a question that's close to my heart and something that I think is really profound and that I would like to spend more time meditating on. So yeah, that was just a little bit of a brain dump, but I'd actually like to maybe do more on that in the future because I think it's still highly unexplored and really important actually. Anyway, that was just me. I guess that sounds like a really like traditionalist rant or something like that, but you know, I don't know. There are lots of other ways to organize your life that I think are also awesome. And you, you know, I don't want to sound like a kind of like I'm hedging now and I'm like uh, being a multicultural, like postmodern relativist or something like that, uh, which I'm not, but all right. Anyway, um, what else? Um, okay. Well, we can do right now for just a minute is a wee bit of housekeeping. I've been doing these streams a lot more recently, by the way, I did actually get that new light today. Uh, does this look any better? Does it look, I try, I'm hoping to make this like barf colored room a little less offensive, a little less ugly by making like the background kind of blacker and my front area, like a little more focused or something. I don't know if it works. If you could see my desk, it looks totally ridiculous. I have this like big, uh, lantern kind of, kind of light setup. Um, anyway, so I'm trying to actually invest in this a little bit and see if I can make this like a cooler and increasingly kind of fun, smooth thing. But, uh, as always, you know, my shit is like mostly a DIY affair. So, um, yeah, if you've come here for like high production values, you can, you can click out of this tab now. Cause, uh, that's not exactly, uh, what I'm offering, but, but I will try to kind of make this a little bit more functional and, and a slightly better production quality as we go iteratively. Other thing on that front, I mentioned this in the stream last night. Um, I'm kind of slowly building in this little private community around, the, you know, this, these live streams and the, vi and the videos I've been making and also the podcast and, and the blogging and all the stuff that I do. Um, I've been very lucky to be contacted by a fair number, not huge, but like a fair number of a small group of, of people who are really interested in the stuff I'm putting out. So I decided I wanted to kind of try to like make some sort of shared space where we could, you know, I could hear more from like what you folks are thinking about all the stuff I'm putting out and 
help, you know, give you an opportunity to help me, you know, tell me like what you think I should do more of and stuff like that. And also give me critique and feedback or whatever. So I'm slowly building up this little space hint. It's a, it's going to be a discord server and I actually already have it. Uh, there are a few kind of people that I'm in contact with who I know fairly well from the internet who are kind of in it now and helping me kind of build it up a little bit, get the, get the culture moving a little bit. Uh, and then like once it's kind of like set up well, and I, I feel like it's a cool thing, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely start iteratively welcoming more people into it. So if you've been following the stuff I've been doing and you're interested in it or whatever, and you want to like, you know, have more like close and direct conversations with me or the people in the chat here and, and whatever, the people kind of around my orbit of the stuff I'm doing and interested in the, the themes and topics that I, I tend to be interested in. Definitely. Um, same thing I said last night, like shoot me a message, just get in my DMS or like make some kind of personal contact with me. Um, and let me know that you're interested in that. So you're on my radar and I'll definitely, you know, definitely, it's not going to be like a, a super exclusive thing. Like if you, if you want in, as long as you're not like a fucking total asshole or something, um, you can, you can come in. So just get at me and I'll, I'll let you know, as I'm like letting in more and more people, again, it's not to be exclusive or anything like that. I'm not trying to make that kind of vibe. Just saying that it's, uh, uh, it's because I want to like, you know, make it good and make it good over time, make it better over time. So, uh, I don't want to just like let in as many people as want in, uh, right away when like, it's still not totally set up and it doesn't have all the bells and whistles I'd really like for a tap. All right. Um, yes. Uh, only about 10 minutes left until I'll, I'll bring in Nick's and we'll talk about cooler stuff. But, uh, one other thing that is on my mind actually kind of inspired by this, by this conversation we're about to do in 10 minutes is, um, I haven't really, ever since I started doing these streams, I haven't given much thought at all. Like I haven't really given any thought to, um, like my moderation policy, like I don't have a moderation policy. And now that the public chats are starting to get like pretty active, which is really cool and really fun to see. Um, I'm, I kind of, I'm not like worried because so far most people in the chats have been totally fine and cool. Um, but I'm a little, I just want to be a little reflective uh, as I, as I go because, and so here's the thing. So I'll, basically I'll give you my thoughts on, basically I want to give you my thoughts on what is the ideal way to think about moderation and comment, you know, moderation in kind of the open online context we have today when you are uh, like, when you are like a free speech absolutist, basically as I am, but you know, you also don't want to be an asshole, you know? Uh, so I just want to reflect on that a little bit and that'll, that'll probably take up the next few minutes. And then uh, we'll basically probably just at that point, we'll invite um, Nixon. So, uh, yeah, see, I said that and, a f and we already got a few trolls trying to provoke me. Please don't do that. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not, I don't like it. Um, actually I just fucked up because the first thing you don't tell trolls is to, uh, not troll you anyway. So here's my thoughts on it. Basically. I, I personally don't really give a fuck what people say. Like I'm, I have a very high tolerance for, uh, speech and, and a variety of different political beliefs and even like, not only do I not really care what people think politically and very few positions like offend me in my presence, it's more like I also, I guess I just have thick skin to, um, to, to like hate and stuff like that. Like people can sling like the nastiest words of me all they want. And I, I just have a high tolerance for that. So I'm not really too concerned about controlling that, but 
I do want to talk with interesting people and something I've been doing on these streams, as you've seen, is I, I like to bring in people who want to have interesting conversations with me. And I like to, I, I like to talk with like a very wide variety of people and some, and you know, it's like, if you're going to have a guest in your home, you're going to uh, want to make sure that like your neighbors don't like curse at them on their way into your house or something like that. Like if you have any sort of uh, uh, stewardship over that, you want to do, you know, you owe it to yourself and to your, to the people you care about talking with to, to kind of like, do your best to make sure that doesn't happen or minimize it or whatever. Um, so here's what, here's what, here's what I think. Um, I'll, I'm definitely, I want to reiterate, I want to uh, iteratively reflect on this and maybe update it as we go. Um, but people in the chat, there's only one nasty person so far. I'd say out of the number of you that are in there, that's not so bad. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I need to not look at the chat. Um, my two cents on this is, is as follows. Um, I want to have a, a, a very open standard for political beliefs. So like even political beliefs that many leftist and progressive respectable people that it's kind of like my milieu, like academics and whatever um, would see as, as like out of line or out, out of, out of the acceptable limits. I want to actually push that limit outward. So, I mean, many of you kind of know this about me from my writings and stuff like that. Like, I, I do think that we should, you know, basically allow a much wider perspective of political stances, even many that my colleagues would consider racist or would consider sexist or transphobic or whatever the case might be. I am interested in creating spaces where, you know, those, you know, taboo uh, political views and, and attitudes and beliefs can actually, you know, people who have those beliefs can interact with, with, with me and with other people. Like, I'm not afraid of that. And, and I think it's, I think that is actually in every way, a desirable move forward for, you know, public discourse or whatever you want to call it in the culture at large. And, and also just for like radical truth seeking, which is ultimately what I'm, you know, after personally. Um, so I do want to do that. And, and that's part of what I'm doing, I think. Um, from like the people I'm talking with and, and the, the general orbit that, that, you know, has, that I'm kind of participating in. But I also do want to like, not encourage assholes. So basically, I mean, my, my, where I come down on this is like pretty, I think it's pretty straightforward. This is not like a, a fancy big solution or, or philosophical uh, revelation or something like that. But it's, you know, I think a practical and, and, and defensible, way to to think about this is the following it's that um i'm basically cool with anyone expressing almost any i guess really any like sincere political belief or claim uh in in the public chat here you know or whatever um even if it even if like you know a lot of people would say that it's racist or whatever or sexist or whatever the case might be um but if you're like my my line will just be like if you're um like an incessant absolute uh, asshole whose intent seems to me to be like nothing but like anti-intelligent, um, anti-like communicative uh, destruction or obstruction. So like, yeah, I think that that's like a good way to do it. So in other words, like I want to be radically open with respect to like, if you, as long as you're like, saying complete sentences and you seem to be a human being who is trying to say something that is like 
an empirical statement of any kind uh, that you seem to sincerely believe or a kind of value claim or attitude or philosophy or position that, you know, you genuinely feel and, and you're saying it because that's what you feel. Um, if that, if the, those are the general intentions and, and that's all you're doing and you're not like doing it in a really like repetitive, aggressive or like way in a design, like if you're not trying to intimidate and I have a pretty like open mind as to like what I consider intimidation or whatever, um, then I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like favor that or disfavor that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna boot you for that. I'm not gonna moderate those comments or, um, you know, like delete those comments or suppress them or whatever. Um, but the only thing I would ask is like, you're not like, you're not allowed to be, um, an asshole to like, uh, and, and I don't just mean, by the way, like I know a lot of lefties say that like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just banning you cause you're an asshole. Um, but actually like they have an extremely low bar for what counts as asshole. And like even someone just saying a political belief that they find offensive counts as being an asshole. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like, I have a very high tolerance and you have to be a real asshole. Um, you know, like I'm not going to just call anyone an asshole and, and whatever, be repressive about it. Um, but yeah, that's basically, that's basically my stance is that as long as I don't have a like overly sensitive threshold and like, so in other words, like you have to be an actual asshole that no one would deny you're just being an asshole. That's what you have to be for me to boot you or to moderate your comments or repress you or, or whatever. Okay. Um, that's my policy. Now, having said that, that's just my philosophy. I haven't, like, I, I don't even know how to moderate the YouTube chat yet. So, but I do have a, I have a bot. I have a night, I have night bot working for me. So um, rest assured there are some, there are some constraints. Um, all right. So uh yeah, see, like General Butt Naked just got booted by Nightbot. AI to the rescue. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm kind of on top of shit. Um if we keep doing this and everyone is having fun with this and, and I keep doing it as I as I want to, as I'm planning to, um, I'll get, you know, I'll learn I'll learn the ropes of these things and get a little bit more sophisticated with moderating, uh, you know, you know, with a with greater, you know, sophistication and stuff like that. All right. So is that enough ranting and housekeeping and shit like that? Um, I think we can move on to the, to the, to the main focus of tonight's live stream. And, uh, oh, just one last thing real quick before I invite Nix or actually let me invite Nix. And then while we're waiting for her to enter, I can tell you the last little bit of housekeeping. Um, all right. Got the link. Let me just, Gotta go to the DMs. Um, the uh, right. So the one, the only, the one last thing I wanted to say was that um, I've committed to a schedule that I'm. Oh, going to get feedback. I've committed to a schedule that I'm going to do these live streams on, so that we can build some kind of like reliable expectations. Like you, you know when I'll be on. If you're if you're finding this fun and cool, you can join me at a reliable repeating time, and. Uh, that time is going to be, just so you know, put it in your calendars. Actually, it's not that important. Definitely don't put it in your calendars. Put in your calendars more important things that you should be doing, like, you know, writing and shit. Um, but if you're curious, the times are going to be 3 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays. All right. Um, that's 8 p.m. in the UK and 5 a.m. in Australia. I'm going to do a stream every week for at least the next few weeks, figure like at least 
you know, two or three weeks at the very least. But if people are into this, I'm definitely into it. This is fun as hell for me. So I'll definitely keep going with it if you all want to keep going with it. Um, yeah, 3 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, and then it'll be Saturdays at 9 a.m. Eastern. So that's to make it a little bit more to mess with the times for the other time zone. So for instance, like people in Australia, I know there's a few of you from Australia might be, it'll be easier to tune into that one. It'll be 11 PM at Australia, but it's Saturday night. So like whatever, you can stay up late. Um, and that'll be 2 PM in the UK and that'll be on Saturdays. And then I'll do like one off streams like this one. Like if I have to work around other people's schedules, there'll be random ones like this. All right. Um, so yeah, just wanted to say that Nick should be joining us. Any minute now. Right. <clears throat> Until then. I can take a breather. And we can just wait. By the way, can everyone hear me okay? Is the audio and video all right? By the way, is this light like any better? Or is it still just equally crap? Okay, this moderation is actually not that hard. Like, I can put people in timeout. That's that's so hilarious. Um, all right, Nix, where are you at? Come on, Nix. I thought you were a techie. It's taking you so long. Just kidding. I'll give I'll give Nix a quick introduction for those of you who. Uh, need that. Uh, I don't know that much about Knicks, but I have been chatting with Knicks for quite a while now, actually. So I know them a little bit. Um, we're friendly. And uh, I believe that she is a programmer of some kind or has technical skills. She talks about that stuff a lot. And um, she's fairly notorious, I would say, on Twitter. Uh, her avatar is like a photoshopped version of Nick Land's face. Um, pretty funny. And uh, yeah, she's got some pretty far out ideas um, about gender and about lesbianism. <laughs> uh, again, I actually, even though we've chatted quite a lot, I, I think I have a, I think I've grokked a sense, a little bit of a sense of, um, you know, where she's going with these ideas, but I still don't really understand them as much as I would like to, but they certainly sound fascinating. Um, and I'm just kind of curious to hear a little bit more specifically, um, you know, what, like what she has in mind with, with these ideas. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to follow up and see what's, see what's good with Nick's land. I'm sure they're just like getting a drink or something. I just want to make sure that there's no, uh, problem with the uh, with anything, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. She's got. It. She's just logging in. No worries. Take your time, Nix. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So I'm just a never-ending well of uh, words, so I can easily keep you entertained. Uh, but now would also be a good time if you want to go take a bathroom break relieve yourself, whatever. By the way, last night, I know that there was, um, there was a little bit of noise or feedback, I think in some of the parts of the chat. Um, none of you told me about that though. So I'm hoping that's because 
it didn't bother you and you barely noticed it. But uh, yeah, in the future, if there's ever any problem, like if the audio or the video is shit, definitely just let me know. Uh, because like I said, I'm not, you know, some super professional YouTuber or something like that. I, you know, I'm, I don't really know exactly how, you know, how these, I don't have some like fancy mixer. I haven't like spent a bunch of money on gear or any shit like that. Um, right. So what else? Um, who's in the, who's in the chat? Who's in the house? We got a lot of people in the house tonight. I think 60 viewers is, uh, I think that might be an all time high. So I think it shows, uh, the, the public interest in, uh, Nick's land and gender accelerationism. So, uh, that's cool. Don't go anywhere. I don't want to lose you all. Uh, Nick's is just having an issue with the VPN. See, this is the issue with techies. You know, they're really good with computers, but sometimes I do this too. Like you, I get a little too good with computers for my own good. Um, Cause then what I do is I make all these like complicated systems and then they break. And then you like, um, you know, have to troubleshoot all the time, but, uh, no worries. I'm, uh, what I really need is, uh, like an assistant, like an unpaid intern, <laughs> uh, who can be here with me in person, who can like help out with the computer and like look shit up and, uh, deal with like bringing guests in. Cause right now I'm like talking and, trying to entertain you and trying to uh, negotiate this with uh, Nick's. So bear with me. Uh, We have to do this through super, super dangerous esoteric highly, highly secretive, cryptographically blocked and protected methods. I would tell you about it, but then we'd have a major problem. I'd have to have you dealt with, if you know what I'm saying. All right. I think, I think that we should be good. I think Nick should be with us any minute. Um, Am I in London? Someone asked me in the chat. No, I'm not. I am in a small city. Well, it's not that small, but small in terms of like international recognition. Uh, about an hour south on the train on, on this south coast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> everyone is a little bit gay, at least. I wonder about that theory. Well, that actually might be one of the things we might talk about. Nix, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I, you're a little soft, but could you turn up the volume a little bit, maybe? Yeah, just a sec. Uh, how's that? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Um, how do I sound? Am I loud and clear to you? Yep. All right, awesome. Thanks so much for agreeing to chat with me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, man, we scheduled this for like originally in April or May or something, I think. But I finally, finally was able to do it. Yeah, we have been uh, trying to get this together for for a while, but I'm glad it's finally coming together. And um, yeah, so 
I also missed you in San Francisco, unfortunately. Um, oh shit! Did I? Yeah. I don't know if that's well. Everyone knows you're like techie, so people might just assume. Anyway. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm open about being a California native. It's, oh good, man! I just Bay, got... <laughs> the Bay Area is such a huge area that, and I'm not even living there right anymore right now anyway. So even there's a low chance of getting doxxed and stalked if I just say I'm in the Bay Area. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. My, I just got really, my heart started racing. I, I just start, started getting, I got really scared that maybe I just doxed your location and you didn't, uh, you didn't want that. And I just got this conversation off on the, on the worst foot. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. I was about to immediately log off. Oh man. I just got so uh, worried that I did that. So, okay. We're good. I'm glad to hear that. So um, how are you doing today? What's, what's going on? Um, I'm just i'm really not doing anything i was just kind of clear kind of cleared my schedule to be on here today awesome and kind of at my desk passively monitoring some stuff awesome awesome um great so we can if you want to just jump right into to the to the interesting deep philosophical and political topics that we've roughly i think kind of planned to talk about or if there's anything on your mind, like uh, more interesting everyday life things that uh, you're just dying to to chit chat about, we can do that too. Yeah, I wasn't. I, I, I mean, I, I had assumed that we would be talking about uh, the uh, theory type stuff that um, I promote all the time on on Twitter. But yeah, I mean, we can. Obviously, we have to address necrophilia at some point. <laughs> I think that. I think that that kind of goes without saying that everybody's expecting that. You're right. I didn't even mention that in the, in the promos for this, but we'll address that also for sure. Um, real quick, actually, this would be a good time to say we got like 60 people in the house, which is pretty dope that for me, for my little stream, that's actually quite a lot. So that's really exciting. But for those of you listening right now, um, if you don't mind, if you know people or there are people in your network, so you think are really interested in this stuff, uh, go ahead and put out a retweet for the, for the link to this video, uh, right now. Cause it's going to, it's hopefully going to get interesting uh, from about now so far, Nick's it's just been me ranting. I don't know if you were watching, but usually what I do for the first 30 minutes is just kind of say whatever I want, rant, talk about shit. Um, all right. So now that you're here, let's do this. So, um, you're kind of associated people associate you with, um, I guess a few, uh, slogans, if you will. Uh, and I think this is, partially you're doing you, you, I think you've, you've put out a lot of, uh, you know, writing and also memes and just general, you know, you put out, uh, a very active web presence, uh, promoting ideas around, uh, to use your own language, these terms such as lesbian neo reaction. And I've also heard you talk about and write about gender accelerationism, which is why I put these things in the title. Um, maybe we could just, uh, start off simple. Um, we don't have to like get too, too deep or sophisticated, but maybe I could just ask you one at a time. Uh, could you tell us just briefly in your own words, um, like what does gender accelerationism mean even? Like, I think a lot of people know what accelerationism means, so I won't go over that, but I think a lot of people are like, well, how can that happen? Or how does that work with gender? Like what exactly does that involve or imply or entail? I think that's not obvious to people. So maybe just in your own words, you could tell us a little bit about what that means to you. Yeah. Um, so the gender accelerationism thing, by the way, uh, it's 
I, I I wrote the well. I actually wrote two different versions of the of the uh, thing that I'm going to be publishing soon on Vastabrupt. Um, I think the first one I wrote like last summer, maybe, and then I wrote another one that was completely different um, earlier this year. And the one that I'm going to be publishing is I've been working on editing it this week, and I, I've been hyping it up forever, but I'm finally going to get around to f- publishing it, and that's going to be pretty soon. Like, hope I'm hoping by the end of the end, end of the week or next week, maybe oh, depending awesome. on. Depending well, on how long it takes to finish editing and everything, but that's a good that's a good strategy though. Like very long periods of hype process and building suspense. Uh, it's good strategy. It's act, it's not unlike uh, Nick's uh, Bitcoin book. <laughs> yeah, um, and also and also a uh, video game type culture stuff. I just thought of does the same thing, so it's kind of that's kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, as, but as far as um, what it actually is. Uh, I think that I think that I originally heard the term gender accelerationism from uh, one of my mutuals on Twitter. Who, uh, um, their their name is Vicky Storm, and they're like an anarchist, uh, post post left egoist type of person, uh, queer. And um, I, I I don't know if they had written something on it. Uh, I, I I heard that they did, but I was never able to find it. Um, but I read a couple excerpts from it, and the basic idea behind it was uh, similarly to Xenofem. Uh, the Xenofeminist Manifesto was the let a thousand sexes bloom idea that um, what's being accelerated is however many distinct type, distinct genders there are in the world. And my take on gender accelerationism is almost the opposite, but not exactly I mean, like on Twitter, I meme a lot about like lesbian RX being basically the politicization of forced feminism, forced feminization, uh, and joking about it being an authoritarian, like forcing forcing all men to take estrogen type thing. But it's it's really more of a um, along. It's really more along the lines of esoteric neo reaction, like Nick Land does. Um, Specifically, uh, his um, there's a post from Xenosystems uh, uh, Meadow Neocameralism where he kind of alludes to uh, how how patchwork functions in relationship to the the outside, basically, or anarchy as I conceptualize it. And so, uh, gender ex- well, I, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself talking about lesbian or ex now too, but that's okay. Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just going to circle around to yeah. an- answer, answering the first question, but ba- but basically, so the, my take on gender accelerationism or gender acceleration is not that what's being accelerated is the existence of many distinct genders, because I the idea, as, as I understand it, is that is that is that accelerating gender in that way to whatever in whatever capacity it even makes sense to say that you're accelerating gender by creating more genders the idea being that the logic of gender collapses at a certain point if there's just too many in the world and my criticism of this is on the one hand that it's not real that well my criticism of it is that it's not really destroying the concept of gender itself but really just broadening it more to a more almost like refining it further 
like a like a good example of this being um I don't know. I don't know when this was exactly. It was um, a couple of years ago, and they've changed it since then. But on Facebook, they for a while had the option to add like fifty-seven different genders or something like that, and they right. cha- they changed it to where you could just put in whatever you want now. I think. But basically, um, it's that same sort of idea that you're you're only con- you're only creating more and more distinct identities that are still being captured under the same the same kind of uh, social categorization. And my take on gender accelerationism is the, is the opposite in the sense that you accelerate and eventually destroy gender altogether by basically, um, mm-hmm. basically pushing the, the tension, the tension that's kind of inherent in gender in the concept of gender between um like the like the the masculine and the feminine um the you know and very in in broader terms like uh chaos and order to deterritorialization is deterritorialization and reterritorialization okay um the the idea being that you kind of accelerate um that you accelerate that the war between the sexes as i also put it to the point that um that the feminine overtakes the masculine as the dom as like the quote unquote dominant gender. And in doing so that destroys the concept of gender altogether, because okay. if that makes, makes sense. So, Cause, so you're, 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 you're against the idea of having so many genders that gender kind of goes away as a distinct uh, and relevant operating category. You're, you're, you, you don't like that vision. You actually want to uh, maintain a, a strong and clear distinction between the, the two genders and you want the, the feminine to, to dominate. Is that, do I understand you right? Kind of. It's, I mean, I say that it's not exactly how I kind of meme it as being an authoritarian sort of, I mean, it sounds like it from what I just said, but it's like, it's, it's, it's more of like, um, like the way I put it when talking about lesbian RX, lesbian RX being like the political kind of fallout of um, what happens as a result of gender acceleration, which is more like the theoretical back end to it. Um, the, the, but the way I put it in terms of lesbian RX is not that I think that any, any, any identity should be policed or that there will be such a thing as like people, for instance, who are non-binary or whatever will just be outright excluded and oppressed and marginalized like like they are now. It's more that I think that as far as um, I, I hate using the word history because that makes it sound like I'm a Hegelian or something, but as far as like the, as far as like the thrust of history goes or whatever, as far as like the war goes, the the two sides of it that are going to have the most relevance are this is this gender binary of masculine and feminine. And you okay. have like, you have like other, other things that don't fit into this binary that can, that people were in like a Patrick scenario where people can align themselves with, with whichever one they think is the most appropriate for them. And what I would, what I would predict would be that not like non-binary, whatever people would side with, my with with side with my positions being being uh not fitting into the gender binary is to be i think in a sense to be feminized in any any in any event anyways at least by patriarchal standards 
Okay. If, uh, if okay. that makes maybe makes more sense. I think so. Let me let me try to say it back, and you can tell me if I'm understanding right or not. So it sounds like you're like you're not hostile to anyone outside of the the gender binary. No, not but, at all. But you are. You do think that the 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 primary distinction between the two main genders should be maintained and actually accelerated, like made made increasingly kind of harsh and clear and in, in, to the point that um, everyone who doesn't sort of map onto that clearly will, in your view, naturally default to, well, I'm sure you don't like the word naturally, but will default to, to, to the feminine mode or the, fe- the feminine side, I guess you could say. Um, and that that will then, I guess, trigger some sort of mechanism tending to, I guess, like, how would you put it? Like overthrow the, the, the patriarchy or like, uh, change it or what's first of all, am I kind of with you so far? And second of all, uh, if I am, where, where, how do you see like the end game playing out or, or like, where does it go? And like, as, as it develops, I think that, I think that we're more or less on the same page. Um, it's, it's a bit harder to talk about the actual political fallout of everything, the, the lesbian or X side of it right now, because I have, only have some kind of scattered notes about that, but um, basically, uh, actually, let me open that right now because I have some stuff yeah. on it. Um, sure. And obviously, I mean, I know I'm giving like a very kind of uh, cartoonish kind of recapitulation of what you're saying, but I think it's useful for people who are like, who maybe don't have much of a clue of what you're even talking about to try and parse like in a, you know, easily interpretable way. I'm just trying to, I'm not trying to like dumb it down, but I'm just trying to, uh, you know, make it like in conversational terms, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so basically, as as far as um, trying to think of exactly how it was that you put it just now, but the uh, the way that this works as far as as far as gender being abolished goes, and as far as um, uh, how it how it works in not just in accelerationist terms in term like in terms of just like gender being accelerated but in terms of also accelerationism as a whole is that um the uh the kind of um i guess the pa- the patriarchal side of things i typically uh put as being aligned with humanism and that pa- patriarchy is um it essentially exists to re again again using the term reterritorializing kind of like a casual way i guess but um but it kind of reterritorializes the uh the re- the reproductive po- possible the reproductive potential reproductive potential of um of women like the of at least of, of the female sex towards continuing the human species and this is something that is becoming increasingly unnecessary as far as as far as the net labor power of the world goes as far as production itself goes because it, it basically that reproductive futurism is uh archaic and unnecessary because it, production can be done in a rate um, so much faster than humans are capable of doing by um, by techno capital, basically. And 
and I'm also kind of coming from a position of like how Sadie Plant aligns uh, women and uh, women in computers, women in techno capital. That there's a com- there's like a common there's a common commonly shared goal at least at least for the time at least for the time being between women emancipating themselves from the kind of biological duty to reproduce uh both to reproduce like sexually and also to reproduce the labor of the of the man of to reproduce the reproduce the labor sorry of the man um reproduction right. of labor in like the sense that uh, Sylvia Federici uses it um right okay okay so uh, so i'm you see you see a kind of coming future in which technology basically emancipates women from the reproductive function it sounds like um i guess one question i would have for you is like why i think a lot of people who think like that who are into that kind of like techno futurist kind of transhumanist type of those sort of circles or those sort of worldviews i think those people often have the view that you articulated at the beginning that you were kind of using as a foil against which to describe your 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 view this idea that basically like gender itself is being kind of obliterated because we can just hack our biology and uh everyone can kind of make their own genders uh we can basically like manipulate ourselves to all kinds of segmented very fine degrees so like what do you like why why are you not into that or like why do you think it's important to preserve the gender binary i'm just curious it's not that i think it's uh um it, like i like i said before it's not necessarily that i think it's, it needs to be preserved in like a in like an oppressive authoritarian sense because it's important to i guess for me to point out that i also have like an anarchist background slash consider myself an anarchist so i don't i don't think that there is like this need to a, pres- to preserve a gender binary in an authoritative sense to to accelerate things um kind of like you know in a neo-reactionary in an s or like in an esoteric neo-reactionary sense of like you like you uh you kind of you preserve the you preserve the state in order to accelerate techno capital um it's it's more that i think that the actually existing um way that things are going to happen is less of a utopian kind of transhumanist futurist way that and especially a especially a, a um not humanist uh i don't think that i don't think it was humanist i'm trying to i'm trying to remember what the word was that i was thinking of in relation to that but basically yeah. that um yeah that i'm i'm not as optimistic i guess that things are just going to work out of like in the sense of like oh everybody can just biohack themselves and be become whatever gender they want and let us let a let a thousand sexes bloom and whatever like i said i think that the um as far as how things how as far as how things shake out in like a kind of in a in like a in like actually existing political um political struggle political political struggles sorry um is that the 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 most represented and most dominant um the of the the most dominant and most represented genders the gender binary is going to be what's at the forefront of any kind of war between the sexes okay and that and that um what i'm saying about women being emancipated from the need to reproduce biologically um 
because that can be because reproduction can be done by machines is it's not um like i like i'm squaring that off very much uh from a accelerationist stance obviously so from a stance where t- capitalism is still being preserved and not some kind of like uh, revolutionary leftist uh uh right. you know we abolish capitalism type thing like uh, like um right and this and this this is a more i guess this is also more relevant to um to where do I have this in here? This is more relevant to gender accelerationism too. That that um, capitalism essentially is. I can't remember exactly where I had this, but That's basically okay. that basically that capitalism is um is. Sorry, I, I no, have so cool. much. I have so much here. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of how to break down my argument. No, that's like, cool. That's totally cool. Let me maybe maybe let me help by uh, interjecting with with yeah, uh, go, definitely uh, just an adjacent an adjacent thought. Um, well, one thing is I, I was kind of falling into the trap of kind of framing my questions as as somewhat normative, and I think that that was just a bad habit because I think when a lot of people think about feminism and they think about like you know trans politics and and these sorts of things like the the it's so much of it is in a kind of normative kind of moralistic frame um but of course what now that i think about it like you you probably don't see it that way as much like uh, you are you issuing from more of a more of a kind of empirical perspective because generally like those of us kind of in this like accelerationist orbit um like we we tend to have like very very uh constrained uh, views on like the role of human agency and, and our ability to like make ethical choices that like have any impact. Um, that, that tends to be like a relatively small, uh, point of focus, I think in, in like the accelerationist worldview. So, um, like it, it is, is much of what you're thinking about with respect to gender accelerationism and, and, and these ideas of like lesbian neo-reaction, this is largely a kind of like you think this is happening, like whether we like it or not, like you, you think that like, this is how capitalism is, is going to unfold and, and is unfolding imminently. Is that, is yeah. that kind of, is that what you yeah, think? That's, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, I, I, I tend to forget, I guess that a lot of, um, that, that a lot of the discourse in feminism and queer theory is based, is based around like a moral point of view. Cause I'm so detached from it. Like I, I like I I actually, aside from a couple a couple things a, a couple things here and there like Simone de Beauvoir I I've basically had like no no engagement whatsoever with mainstream feminist thought for better or worse, um, but that's just a, an aside that I think is kind of funny, but yeah um no it's exactly that's exactly um the the right way to characterize gender accelerationism is that it's it's an it, it the gender accelerationist side specifically is an analysis of how techno capital femi- is feminizing the human race and how the the feminization of the human race via techno capital is creating this tension that's going to result in either um 
capital techno capital and femininity techno capital and femininity being uh, being kind of pitted against um masculinity and uh human humanity humanism patriarchy and decelerationism that's another thing that i've been working on that i wrote a little bit of that i wrote a little bit of yesterday for um my uh my cyber nihilism series that is one of the other things that i'm more well well known for at least amongst anarchist circles is an analysis of how an analysis of the phenomenon that i've noticed lately of anarcho primitivism or just kind of um primitivism in general green politics in general and reactionary politics hmm. Um, that I've noticed that there's been a lot more of that lately, especially um, there's two groups. There's two groups in Mexico, I think. Um, I think they're both in Mexico. I know one is, but there's individuals tending towards the wild, which is the acronym in Spanish is ITS. And the other one is a journal called ATASA. And both of them are the call themselves eco-extremists. And they both um, are pretty controversial in anarchist in the anarchist milieu for being very uh uncomfortably close for a lot of people to reactionary ideology Hmm. and i think and i think it's i think it's really interesting how this has happened because i'm not i'm like not at all afraid to say in anarchist circles or whatever that i think that primitivism is essentially reactionary on the one part because it's it's literally saying the modern world is bad. There was a specific time in human history that's good and that we need to go back to, which is pre-agrarian hunter-gatherer societies. And it also it also um, it, it of course denies disabled and trans people their uh, the, the, any bodily autonomy because if there's no industrial society, then most people don't have access to most people who have like any kind of medical conditions don't have access to the care that they need or the medicine that they need. And trans people don't have access to the medicine and uh, surgeries and whatnot that they need to transition. If, if of course they elect for that, because as, as another thing I always point out is you don't have to medically transition to be trans. Um, And, and of course, primitivists will say, Oh, well, you don't have to transition medically or, you don't have to be treated. Uh, you don't have to be treated with, um, you know, whatever medicine, modern medicine affords us to be able to live a full life as a disabled person or a trans person. And you know, so on, on the one hand, that's maybe a less interesting po- criticism if you just stop it there. But what a lot of people also don't point out, mostly because I think anarchists tend to lack a strong kind of theoretical, a strong theoretical lens, is that. Basically, primitivism, primitivists make it so that everybody has to conform to their their like kind of universalist politics, where if, um, you know, like if, if you were to ask, well, couldn't couldn't there be a patchwork scenario where primitivists could like live in go shit in the woods or whatever they want to do? And then accelerationist techie, whatever people can live in cities and they'll say, oh, well, no, because you might pollute the stream that I'm the stream that I get my water from or you might destroy my forests or whatever so you need to conform to my the way i want to live my life everybody has to everybody has to regress back to 
this pre-agrarian society or there's going to be like this extremely or the, there's going to be this extremely tiny portion of the world that's going to be upset by this so okay that, that that's all super super interesting i have to digest that but one thing that came to mind when when you were talking just now is you were kind of criticizing primitivism for being reactionary but i think some people will be confused because you you endorse reactionism don't you so how what am i missing something maybe yeah, I, I can understand how that would be confusing. <laughs> um, so, so in what sense are you a neo-reactionary and in what sense are you not? Maybe that's a good question. Yeah, again, um, the, the neo-reaction stuff is partially just me memeing me, and being edgy because I think okay. it's funny to like steal okay. that from reactionary, neo-reactionaries. Right. Because typically, especially on Twitter, I, I find that neo-reactionaries aside obviously from Nick Land and uh, Moldbug, that neo-reactionaries tend to basically just be a couple steps away from being outright fascist or um, just generic conservative type people, like, you know, tra the trad phenomenon in that circle. So part of it is just, is, you know, les hashtag lesbianRx, you know, okay. a, a neo-reactionary sees something like that and it's, like, how does that even work? What the fuck? But yeah. Then part yeah. of it is also a, a part of it is also coming from like a Landian point of view that it's it's and it's an esoteric neo reaction where you 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 react or you reterritorialize or whatever in order to in order to um in order to accelerate the process further. Which, to be fair, is not some is not a concept that I've. Entirely, entirely understand as far as Nick Land's uh, NRX turn, which is why I haven't started. I haven't really started writing lesbian RX, um, aside from a couple notes on it. Uh, so you know that's just something that you'll that'll have to be developed further. But sure, um, yeah. As far as like, I, I, I guess basically it's important to just say then. Is for this specific question, that it's a distinction between reactionaries in the in a generic sense of being, because uh, it's also important to remember that Nick Land uses reaction and progressivism in very different ways than most people do. Where for Nick Land, the left is anything that's against capital, and anything that's on the right is aligned with capital. So you might say that reactionary ideologies such as fascism are, in Nick Land's point of view, basically leftist. Um, and the neo-reactionary ideologies, like neo-reaction, um, are on the right because they're aligned with capital. And so then in that sense, I would say that I am neo-reactionary by being being aligned with techno-capital, um, okay. both in terms of in terms of what I was saying earlier about how techno-capital and is basically ends up being emancipatory for women and also in the sense of being an anarchist um being a market anarchist and being in favor of capital as far as its ability to uh as far as its its use as a tool for managing resources and stuff like that okay as opposed to like anarcho-communism i think that 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 made things come through quite clearly just now for me i think i i, I think i understand kind of your larger perspective quite well now because if you're a lot, it is kind of interesting actually to think about it that if, if you're aligned with techno capital, there's a strange way in which like right now we are kind of seeing the, 
the rise of women in some sense, um, kind of corresponding to a certain autonomization of capital, kind of escaping the control of governments at the same time, in, at least in like the, you know, the most advanced capitalist societies, uh, you are seeing this kind of interesting uh, kind of cultural ascendancy of, of, you know, things like mainstream feminism and, and things like that. And like women doing better in school and this sort of stuff. Um, you know, I'm not like some men's rights activist, but there are like a bunch of interesting data points, right. About how um, like in a strange way as techno, as the acceleration of, of techno capital is, kind of destroying our society like pretty rapidly and it's very brutal and has has like really some really negative effects on many humans uh there is a kind of strangely correlated sort of cultural ascendance of of a certain form of like cultural female power and i'm not necessarily um like saying that to signal my affiliation with like anti-feminist like you know uh people or anything like that it's more like because i don't think it's that simple but do you see what i'm saying yeah, um, Sadie Plant was talking about that as far back as the 90s when she wrote Zeros Plus Ones, that it was already happening where as as capitalism accelerates further. And it's important to point out, too, that this is only the case in the first world. Like if you if you read uh, Federici's uh, Caliban and the Witch, she talks about how um, uh, primitive accumulation, uh, how if basically it basically re-territorializes any uh, apparent freedoms that she thinks women had in the middle ages uh, back to um, where they're forced to be housewives and to, to both literally reproduce labor by giving birth to more children that could be in the sweatshops and stuff. And then also to reproduce the labor of, of the, of her husband because capitalism at that stage is so, is so brutal and so dependent on human labor that basically laborers aren't able to take care of themselves when they come home from like a 12 hour shift. So they need a a household servant essentially to do that for free, which is where um, I think it was the Italian feminist movement, uh, autonomous group, Loda Feminista was the one that started this where this is basically where their idea of wages for housework comes from that, if you have to pay women a wage to be house to be uh, housewives, then that kind of collapses the system because because then you you have to, you don't have that free that massive pool of unpaid labor that's reproducing everything else. But that's that's a bit off track from what from from what that from what you were just saying though. But just my point being that at different stages of development, capitalism is obviously not is obviously not emancipatory for women, but the more it accelerates, the more, it, again, like I was saying, it gets deterritorialized further to where, where we are now, where women, where women no longer have to be housewives in the United States for the most part, other, other than, you know, there's like a, the cultural residue where people, where women are expected to, but there's no, there's no biological or eco- economical reason for it anymore in the U S like women can, Women can be in the workforce now, and there's there's really no reason for them not to be. But um, it, it's actually um, that that's actually part of the was part of the uh, inspiration for um, for uh, gender acceleration, specifically as far as trans women go and their role in all this, because um, it's not just that women as a whole are being emancipated or 
whatever emancipated 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 or at least being afforded more freedoms or as much freedom as men it's also that trans women have taken on this very interesting this very interesting kind of role or stereotype where trans women are you know the stereotype that all trans women are programmers or and not it's not even just a stereotype too it's also um it's also been the subject of study that trans women specifically um i think it was agp uh, auto autogynephilic trans women in the blanchard typology which people keep asking me about the blanchard <laughs> typology for some reason on my retro spring i don't know why i don't I, I i i i don't really have many thoughts on it other than you know it i don't know if i agree with it but i also don't really care as long as there's nobody being told well you can only you can only transition if you are really truly a woman and not AGP. Because even Blanchard says that women who are trans women who are AGP should still transition because it's better for their their mental health. But setting that aside, um, so the study the study basic that I referenced a couple seconds ago basically concluded that trans women who are um, to to put it in terms that make sense to most people because the terms that the article uses are pretty archaic. But basically, the trans women who are queer um, and who transition later in life, um, I think, I think it would be after pu- after puberty, tend to have far higher IQs than most other most of the population. Like I think it was like twenty something points difference, something really big like that. So it was that, and then also these stereotypes about trans women being programmers that led me to wonder why is that the case and is there something more to it mm. and basically what i came to conclude in gender acceleration is that the reason why this is the case is because phallus um and in, in a broad sense you know humanism patriarchy all that is becoming is becoming deprecated by all these productive forces these inhuman productive forces that are faster more efficient and hostile to us and uh, trans women are basically a more are basically a more intelligent, more evolved state of human of the human of the human being that has caught on to this and knows that it's best to abandon any kind of biological duty for reproduction and maintaining maintaining uh, maintaining patriarchy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because it's just it's completely uh, at odds to all this and. Uh, I think that it was, I think Zeno, I think the way Zeno Goth, Zeno Gothic put it in one of his blog posts, it, or to, to, so to paraphrase him, is that being, being a trans woman is being more worthy and more worthy and more attuned to the flows of techno capital. Okay. Okay. So that's super fascinating. And I think um, that was a very clear statement of, uh, you know, a very, that was a very provocative, but clear statement of, of, you know, one of the components of your, your larger picture of the world. So that, that was, I think that came through very usefully. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and I think we've, you know, uh, by now kind of pieced together the main, the main pieces, at least of, you know, these larger ideas of gender accelerationism and lesbian anarchics. I mean, obviously we haven't gone into it in, in, in that much depth. I'm sure your writings on it will, you know, answer a lot of the, the questions people might have about it, but I think it's overall contours, at least in my mind, as, as I've been listening uh, to you talk about it, 
the, its overall contours are, are kind of in place, I think, at this point. Um, would you mind if I if I tried to do a little bit of a riff, uh, like recapitulating kind of what you said? Maybe I guess adding a little bit of I, maybe my own, like what, how things look to me, and you can just tell me if if it jives with like how you see things or not. Uh, yeah, that's that's fine. There's one other thing I wanted to yeah. mention as regards um, uh, techno capital and feminization. It's is it's not just necessarily that that trans women have higher IQs and that um, you know techno capital is obviously at odds with the human race and you know I align I align patriarchy and techno capital or I align patriarchy with humanism and you know because of reproductive futurism. It's also there's also further kind of uh, scientific evidence or whatever you want to call it that indicates towards this. Um, there is a, there is an article uh, a last November I want to say that was talking about what was it? It was I think it was the Great Barrier Reef or where is it? I have it right here. Um, that uh, yeah, the Great Barrier Reef. Um, that it's turning sea. The 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 rising temperatures in the Great Barrier Reef are turning sea turtle uh, sea turtles female. <laughs> so there was that, and then there's also a, a um, pretty widely studied and well known phenomenon that in the first world. uh, testosterone levels are falling at a rapid rate and nobody knows why that's happening because on the one hand you could blame this on on um on like poor diets and lack of exercise in developed countries which i think is a secondary but also important part of this that the the more the faster techno capital goes the more you have to be kind of you have to be plugged into cybernetics you plugged into like the matrix or whatever which is also a great term because matrix from comes from a Greek word for womb, which a lot of people know, I think it's a f- famous comparison. Um, but also, uh, and also that, you know, as techno capital accelerates and it demands us to be, to keep up with it. Um, and our bodies basically become useless because naturally we can't keep up with it and we have to plug everything into, uh, into cybernetics. And then also, um, you know, poor, the poor diet part, you can, can you could uh, attribute to that too, that I, I actually just answered a question today or the other day, I think, actually, about this in like the soy boy phenomenon, that um, uh, it's like, the, like, like meat and stuff like that, that has a lot of testosterone or, it, or it, it, it's a, um, it, uh, is conducive to having high testosterone levels. Stuff like that is basically an unnecessary luxury item for human beings now. It's more efficient and cheaper to for people to be eating uh, food that's soy based and is not masculinizing. But that was but okay. the, the really interesting point underlying the, t- the testosterone dropping point, and then we can move on to what you were going to do, is that. There's no, nobody has an explanation for this yet. I mean, there have been some suggestions that maybe it has something to do with uh, changes in, in the climate that heat produces, that heat feminizes, which would seem to 
seem to dovetail nicely into that that point about the Great Barrier Reef. Uh-huh. But um, either way, there's yeah, there are multiple sources that st- seem to indicate there's a clear parallel between between acceleration and feminization. Sorry, I know I'm very no. long-winded. No, that's awesome. That's really good. That, that, that's what this is for, like for us to just kind of talk as long as we want to try to get it all out there. And and I think actually you you really have um, painted a clear picture for me now. And I think I think I I really do kind of see even better what 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 you're going for here. And I I like your data points. I mean, I, those are really interesting, like the turtles and the and the phenomenon of of soy boys. These are you know you you do paint a, an evocative picture that is not implausible. So uh, what I want to just briefly do is is try to one more time um, after trying to digest everything you've already said, kind of recapitulate what you said and just to confirm that. I, I do understand you clearly. Um, and then maybe maybe we can pick at it a little bit more. Like it, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that the acceleration of of techno capitalism is basically putting an, an increasingly brutal pressure on on the social fabric. And what that's doing basically all I mean by that is, you know, the basic ability for human beings to live as human beings is is increasingly coming under this like unbearable pressure um, as the competitive demands of of survival under techno capitalism accelerate. And th- what this is doing is, well, it's making it really hard to be a man basically. And uh, is one way to think about what you're, what you're saying. And that actually interestingly kind of jives with um, like some, like a lot of the neo-reactionary people who the, the more, not even neo-reactionary, but like the more kind of typical uh, conserv- like that's a pretty typical like conservative line that you know modern Western societies are inimical to you know masculine virtues or whatever. Like it sounds like you're kind of saying like that's true. Techno techno capital is making it increasingly impossible for men to be men, and that what this is doing is it's actually pushing um, it's pushing people to kind of align themselves with the feminine, and that might mean the ascendance of women, as you see in like you know, I don't know, whatever, like all the campus politics that people are talking about, like feminism and me too. And, you know, this whole, like, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in corporate feminism, like all of those currents would in your model be seen as data points of, of, of femininity kind of rising a cultural rising on a kind of cultural ascendance. Uh, that's in part because techno capital is obliterating, uh, masculine prowess in some sense. Um, and also like trans, you know, uh, people, people transitioning genders um, would be another data point of, of this kind of the way in which techno capital is basically pushing human energy towards, um, let's say like non-masculine or even anti-masculine forms. Um, and so that's, that's really fascinating is that, so, so in, in other words, gender accelerate, that's the gender accelerationism component. Like what that refers to is basically just the effects that techno capitalism is having on gender dynamics. Um, and interestingly, what, what I like about that idea of gender accelerationism is it's kind of consistent with like the left and the right, or like, not that it, maybe that's not the best way to put it, but rather like the, a lot of the claims of the left are actually consistent with the gender accelerationism. And a lot of the claims of the right are, in other words, like, you know, the left that kind of says that, um, you know, um, like capitalism is bad. It hurts people. It, you know, is bad for the soul, these sorts of, you know, moralistic kinds of objections. Like you're kind of saying like, yeah, that's pretty true, but maybe it's a good thing, or maybe that's just 
uncontrollable and it has and it's have it's ironically having kind of feminist implications whereas on the other hand the right also kind of points to similar phenomena and they say like um you know uh this is really bad for traditional values we need to like restore the family or whatever um so like there are different kind of uh ideological moves that one can make in response to this phenomenon that techno capital is is um putting increasing pressure on on gender norms and kind of yeah as you describe it uh so i see that as as you know the gender accelerationist idea as a maybe a, a pretty a pretty compelling way to kind of describe the relationship between capital and gender in a way that is actually it's not really left or right it's more maybe maybe like what we would call like unconditional accelerationist or whatever um but it seems to be consistent with the 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 data points that are kind of invoked on both sides is that does that make sense to you or no yeah um there's actually uh, one of my mutuals on twitter uh who's like a reactionary uh, right decelerationist type person. Uh, he he said once we basically him him and I have the same beliefs, except I think I just think that what he I just think that all of these things that techno capital is destroying humanity and techno capital is unleashing the chaotic feminine and destroying the family and all of that. I just think all of that's great and, <laughs> and reactionaries are terrified of this. And right, right. I would say, cause you were talking about like the cultural phenomenon, the like cultural, um, like the cultural phenomenon of feminism and um, what the, and uh, I, I, I think that even to a certain extent, which is why I'm critical of, of, um, but will be more so critical in Lesbian RX than in GAC. I, I'd originally had like a little section at the end talking about Xenofem, but I decided that I needed to, because because so much of the left is talking about um, the political and moralistic implications of everything, and less doing a kind of a, an a, a analytical um, back end analysis of all of it. Um, so, but basically. Um, yeah, I, I'm. Be, I'm also critical of the left's re, uh, responses to it, and for you know, while the right saying this is techno, uh, you know, capitalism is is destroying masculinity, masculinity destroying tr- traditional values and all that, and um, you know, I, I think that the, I think that the left, to a certain extent, is is having by being anti-capitalist is having similar objections to it, except instead of framing it in terms of this kind of this hyper, hyper fascist, like we need to restore the traditional family type thing. Theirs is, well, not even hyper fascist, really. It's more like the rights, the rights position on it is just generically fascist and where the left is hyper fascist and that the left is a universe has a more universalist me- almost metaphysical with like the let a thousand sexes bloom thing where they want to capture everything within this kind of uh within this social the social um social category of gender like i was talking about before if that makes sense yeah trying to avoid trying to avoid sounding like either a trying to avoid sounding like a centrist or a leftist or reactionary <laughs> yeah so it's a diff- difficult to 
difficult oh, to describe things in, in that sense. But definitely, I, trust me, I, I know that I know that struggle. I, I I'm in the same struggle. I think. Um, okay, maybe if I if 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 you agree that I've kind of understood well enough, and and I think I think you you've uh, by now made yourself quite clear, and I think this has been quite productive and effective in exchange. Um, honestly, I mean it's it's been really cool because sometimes you know these like complicated ideas. Sometimes like these conversations, you can only get so far and like, you know, you still leave with like a lot of questions unanswered and you're not really sure if you totally get it. But I actually feel like on this on this point, I I understand your views on this way better than I did coming into this. So that's cool. Um, maybe I could give you a, a, a quick challenge. Um, you know, like I think what a lot of people listening to this might be thinking is kind of something like, you know, your model is not implausible. It's, it's certainly it's certainly interesting and you make good, you make good arguments and you, and you have some interesting data points as well, but there is a kind of alternative model. I think that a lot of people might have in their minds, which I'd be curious if you could, you know, respond to it. It's like some people would say the increasing demands of techno capital is going to basically, you know, how should I put this? Uh, it's like only the strong will survive this kind of idea. Right. Um, and so you could are like, I think some people think that, what's actually happening right now with like the, the cultural ascendance of like, you know, kind of like mainstream feminism and, you know, these data points about like women doing better in school and, and this sort of stuff. Um, like that, this is actually, um, how do I put it? It's like, it's like the, the last like dying breath of, of humanism of like the efforts of human beings to kind of like, you know, maintain sophisticated symbolic cultures uh, and like moralistic, um, like communities, uh, against the, the threats of, of techno capital. So there's like this, like bunkering down and, um, uh, kind of intensification of the kind of maternal instincts or something like that, the feminine instincts to, um, kind of make one last, you know, push against the, the encroachments of techno capital, which seem to be like, you know, at our door threatening to decimate, you know, the, the very possibility of humanity or something like that. And so like what we're seeing is, is kind of like a last gasping breath of, of maybe like the maternal or feminine uh, in, impulses or, or values or traits or something. And, and mind you, I'm, I'm kind of mimicking what I think many people might say. I'm, I don't know how much I think this. Um, and, and that actually what's going to happen, what we're actually also seeing right now is um, a resurgence of the, the, um, the need for strength a resurgence of masculine values or traits or whatever. And that those will make a, those are kind of already making a comeback. And over the next like couple of decades, like the, the, those who are able to survive and breed and reproduce or whatever are going to be these like tight knit, strong, tough uh, communities, probably presumably with like, you know, authoritarian kind of male, like patriarchal structures and values. Um, I think a lot of people think that, and there are, I don't know how much I think that, but there, there are certainly some data points for that. Like you see things like how like trendy and like, uh, martial arts has become, for instance, things like this. Like, um, there, there is like, you definitely see in a lot of quarters. Um, and I, this is very much like the Jordan Peterson phenomenon, right? Like you see a lot of data points about, um, a lot of men kind of starting to get more like realizing that, you know, they've been soy boys or bug men for too long and they, and they want to get tough and they want to learn how to fight and, th and they want to be strong and responsible, you, you know? So there are as many data points kind of pointing in the other direction in the cultural trends right now. Um, I think of also like, have you, I don't know if you've ever seen these people, like, I think it's called operation werewolf. I was only alerted to this recently, but it's kind of like a fascist pagan kind of like back to the land 
strong masculine community type of, of project. I don't know much about them, but again, it's just another kind of uh, data point. Um, so, so yeah, like, I, I wonder what you think about that, that basically a lot of people have a kind of opposite view of yours, which is that like weak women and trans people are going to be increasingly kind of sidelined by the brutality of techno capitalism. And what will emerge is only like strong patriarchal uh, communities. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, this, this is, um, this is more, this goes more into why, why I have the lesbian RX component to, or component, whatever the, the follow-up to GAC, because yeah, it would definitely seem like in a patchwork type scenario, like, um, uh, like there's this, there's this really good pamphlet, I guess. I don't know if it's long enough to be considered not a pamphlet, but it's called Desert, and it's by this anonymous author. It's like a green anarchist, green nihilist piece talking about how climate change... Well, talking about climate change and how uh, like there's no way we're ever going to stop it, and so what does this mean for green anarchy? And part of, the, part of that is talks about how climate change is going to start to produce these... Um, kind of like kind of like also what I guess Nick Land alludes to in meltdown like these kind of hot war zones where there's scarce resources and there's more of a there's like more of a either fight fighting against authoritarian regimes in like more localized senses or like you know like in a Patrick scenario basically or the or like more anarchic almost barbarian uh uh, ge- geopolitical areas. So, yeah, um, it, you, it's a it's a really good point, and I think that in a lot of cases it's it's kind of true that, it, especially in like any kind of collapse scenario, because um, because you know I, I I allude to patchwork all the time, especially in the case of lesbian RX, because lesbian RX um builds off of patchwork as like a political technology to talk about what the future of feminist um feminist movements is going to look like and so part of that definitely includes this kind of like there's going to be masculine or there's going to be a, a kind of a re-territorialization of masculinity and, the, and to like the point where it becomes even more rigidified uh carsoniz- carsonization Carsonization is what neo-reactionaries call that, I think. Hmm. So that being said, then it would seem maybe like that is that um, contradicts GIAC a little bit, but it's actually the opposite. I think that that's all great because hyper, because masculinity is fragile. Masculinity is, is rigid, static. It's easy to fracture. And I talk about this in GIAC, specifically talking about the free software movement that, um, man, I almost don't want to spoil it because it's so, it's so fucking, it's so fucking good, but up to you. You don't have to, you can, you can keep us in suspense if you want. I think that I've alluded to it before maybe, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to say it now, I guess. But so in the history of the free software movement that kind of started around, um, the MIT in uh, the 60s and 70s. They're one of the first operating systems that was a time-sharing system 
so time sharing systems being basically that multiple people could be logged onto onto the system at once and you didn't you, you people could share time on it um one of the first time sharing systems one of the first that was widely used especially was a, a time sharing system called multics and multics uh was only like uh, was one of several other time sharing systems to be made around this time uh it came after a couple other ones and Multics was well known back then uh, in like the MIT hacker community for being a, uh, a very fragile easy, like the security was easy to break. It was slow. It was like you had to pay per minute that you were using it or something stupid like that. It was very highly, very highly policed by the, um, uh, the whatever the whatever bureaucracies it was that was in charge of it. I think it was like AT and T and Honeywell and then MIT itself. And it was kind of considered like this is the one way to program. This is and this is the future. This this Multics thing. And eventually, um, let's see. I'm trying to remember exactly how the story goes, but. Basically, what ends up happening after this, after this, um, this this operating system Multics, it, it, it people keep people keep hacking it, breaking the security, just just all around fucking around with it and doing everything that they could. All these uh, programmers at MIT to stop to stall the development of it and to get in the way of any progress in using it. And eventually, uh, MIT um, and Bell Labs scraps the production of it in 1969. And the new, a new, the new operating system that ends up replacing it is called Unix. And Unix was called such because Unix is, a, is it, you know, uh, U-N-I-X is a phoneticization of Unix as in castrated. It's a oh, castrated, really? it's a castrated multics is why they called it that. Really? So. And yeah. And so Unix is different from being multics in that it's very, it was, or well, Unix, I don't think anybody still uses it because there are a bunch of other versions of it now. Um, but basically, as opposed to Multics being a very, like, uh, kind of like a product of bureaucracy, being very rigid and very highly policed and in a way almost, you could say, centralized, Unix was small, portable, very open, very easy to hack on. So what the reason why I bring all of this up is because it gets to my it gets to a broader point as far as like, you know, isn't, isn't hyper-masculinization going to happen? Isn't Carson, is it, isn't Carsonization going to happen as a result of techno capital? And basically, yes, that's definitely happened many times in the history of it, speaking in terms of just computer science being, you know, the major, you know, the one half of techno capital, obviously. Um, it's most certainly the case that that happens, but it always ends up losing to a feminine, a fluid feminine um, mode of being, basically, because because masculinity is too is too easy to is too easy to break, and it's too e it's too hard for it to adapt to change. And um, to take a more recent example, frame it to you know frame it in terms of politics. And uh, Sadie Plant talks about this in zeros plus ones with um, talking about like uh, Sun Tzu and uh, Amazonian warfare. Um, but this is also talked about by a military 
military theorist, I guess you'd call him, John Robb. He wrote this book, Brave New War, about the war in the war in Afghanistan, or not in Afghanistan. Sorry, sorry the the whole the whole Middle Eastern conflict, all the mm-hmm. different conflicts, and how basically um, you can and you can extend this just to neoliberalism as a whole, as like this this one new world order system of doing things, where every this one this one bureaucracy that's globalized across the whole world. That, but in the case of the Middle East. Uh, basically very lightly armed insurgents utilizing very, very cheap attacks, like literally just, just unloading a magazine into an oil pipeline causes it caused, caused um, the United States, I think millions and millions and millions of dollars in damage. And Mm. this is, this is an attack against like these oil pipelines. There are like hundreds of miles of these things and uh, similar infrastructures like power lines that, it's impossible for these centralized, these centralized bureaucratic, you know, phallic, hyper-masculine organizations or entities or whatever to police. So basically, what ends up happening is that as the basically what ends up happening is the more carcinicized you end up getting, the more hyper-masculine, the more masculinity ends up getting accelerated, the easier it is to attack and destroy because it just can't, it just can't keep up. It can't keep up with with this this lightweight fluid, uh, Sadie and Sadie Plant characterizes it as, characterizes this type of warfare as feminine in zeros plus ones. And obviously, I agree with her. Um, okay. That, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that hopefully that answers your question. That basically this is another part of lesbian rx that I didn't get to before, but um, this I, I you know mentioned this war between the sexes type thing that. I think that I think that the fallout of gender accelerationism is exactly what you're saying. That it's both. It's really it's both of what you're saying. Like in terms of like your response to what I was, to your response to my position in gender accelerationism, and also what you were agreeing with. It's both that that on the one hand, um, there's obviously this kind of liber- liberation of fem- of uh, uh, women that's happening, and there's and there's more of a um, a bloom of queerness in the world, but and then alongside that is a reaction against it and that becomes more and more accelerated. The more techno capital accelerates as a reaction against it, and it ends up creating a ten- the tension I was talking about in this war of the sexes. And basically, as far as like lesbian or ex is concerned, this is great because it means that men are just setting themselves up for their own demise. The more that they try to react against it, and the more that they try to re- like. We need to return. We need to return to being masculine, and we need to like, um, you know, be, like we need to return to traditional values and live traditional lives and all of that. The more uh-huh. that they do that, the more the more easy they are to destroy. So, okay, yeah, that that's all super interesting, I, I, especially those stories about uh, eunuchs. Very fascinating. I mean, I mean, I think you make a really good case about how it seems like in many ways the acceleration of techno capitalism is making like all systems that are based on control increasingly brittle basically. And and if you think of control as associated with masculine or patriarchal, then I, you know, I think your model is very plausible and, and quite, you know, it's quite useful and interesting and, and quite provocative for, for like parsing many vexing data points. Um, it's important to point out here real quick too, that um, 
the the uh, the powers that be, whatever the CIA, like the CIA in the Vault Seven leaks from a while back, they themselves admit in there that yeah, we can't control this. There's no way for the government to control um, uh, what what is it? They called it like cyber war or something. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Well, I I I had one specific Actually, question. Yeah, you can keep talking. Yeah, no, I had one specific question I wanted to just get your opinion on. Like, in, how does this convert to the patchwork model? Because you've mentioned this, and I, I know that you're interested in that. Like, is the is the idea that, like, in patchwork, the a lesbian, like, authoritarian lesbian uh, sovereign corporation uh, would be would be selected as, like, the optimal political model? Is that what you mean by, like, lesbian neo-reaction and patchwork? Yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier meta neo cameralism, uh, the Nick Nick Land Xenosystem post, and it, I think that the way that I use patchwork when talking about lesbian RX might either confuse or, in the case of people who are who know who are into patchwork and neo reaction, might also anger people because the way I use way I use patchwork when talking about lesbian RX is very different from how patchwork is typically employed, except except at least in, to my knowledge in the case of Nick Land's meta-neocameralism, where he basically says that the wolves of the outside, uh, in his terminal, the way he puts it, are going to viciously destroy anything in patchwork that isn't optimal for survival. Mm-hmm. And I basically align lesbian RX with the, out, with the outside. Like I was talking about before how Sadie Plant... Uh, Sadie Plant and also uh, Amy Ireland in Black Circuit, how they both talk about women and women in machines, women in AI having like a kind of common. Um, oh, good. Oh, good. You found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how they kind of have a common. Um, I don't know if I'd say goal exactly, but they they're at least there is at least a kinship amongst AI and women, and. And so, uh, sorry, I just got a notification that distracted me. Um, so, uh, yeah, where was I? So, in the terms of patchwork and how lesbian RX fits into that, I basically align lesbian RX with the outside with anarchy. And again, um, drawing on some other sources for this, um, especially in the case of like Neo Amazonia. Um, the idea of neo a neo Amazonian patchwork in in uh, in Greek mythology or I, I think it's mythology uh, whatever um, Greek mythology slash historical sources the Amazons were never characterized as really having their own like strict strictly speaking society or city state or something they were always kind of presented as being on the on the fringes or of civilization right on the edge of like civilization and complete like inhuman chaos of hmm. the inhuman chaos of the natural world which again uh kind of falls in line with what i've been talking about as or alluding to with like women as being a, as women and uh chaos uh the the primordial feminine chaos that people like jordan peterson talk about but it's not. It's far from just being Jordan Peterson, though. It's pretty much in the entire history of Western and Eastern thought. 
chaos has always been has always been identified with women and order has always been identified with masculine you see this in both the yin yang and also in the kabbalah um so so basically as far as patchwork works into this it's really more that lesbian or x is like an anti-patchwork it's the anti-patchwork to the masculine patchwork where there's hmm. where there's where there's masculine so sovereign corporation city states for lesbian rx it's a distributed it's a distributed anti-patch a kind of like mar- free a free market anarchist type society okay that, okay that's well that's really interesting to me because i don't know how much you followed like stuff i've been talking about recently but like in my podcast with uriello for instance and also in my podcast with nick which will come out soon hopefully I, you know, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about like the communist patch, you know, like, uh, how, like, uh, if there's any possibility of a legitimate and serious left accelerationism, it would have to be engineered as a, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to kind of show how you could engineer a functional communist patch. So it sounds like what you just described, like, is it, is it fair to say, would you, would you say that the feminist anti-patch, the distributed anti-patch soft corp would be also like, a a, a more egalitarian model is that fair to say is a communist even i'm not exactly sure if i would say it's egalitarian or not because you know there's because i'm very uh like this is you know this is the uh part of like the the neo reaction side of it okay. and i'm i'm very on board with the with like the kind of exclusionary uh anti-universalism anti-universalism of neo-reaction so i wouldn't necessarily say that it's a that it's just going to be like a great egalitarian communist type thing right um there because obviously at the very least cishet men are going to be excluded violently (laughs) so but but okay necessarily like what what if they're like compliant (laughs) i'm kind of joking with that i mean (laughs) It's it's more like it's more like there's going to be either a degree of separation, like you know, kind of this kind of like um, has a history also in the idea of like lesbian separatism and radical feminism. Except for except for lesbian separatism, it was always that all women should become lesbians and sep- and become separatists from patriarchy because that's their political duty or whatever. Whereas for me. I don't really give a shit if straight women or, you know, straight women, be they trans or cis, if they aren't on board with this, like I say many times, then, you know, they can just, they can just die with all of the men too, for all I care, if that's what they choose. Uh, so I would say that basically, though, that lesbian or ex is, is not necessarily fully like egalitarian and communist and all that in the sense that it's, that it's, um, explicitly aligned with the war and and explicitly exclusionary but on the other hand like you you said earlier about lesbian or ex if it's like an authoritarian lesbian patch type thing Mm -hmm. and i think that this is like i i mean i really think that this is the uh the core of patchwork that people don't recognize because it's always being upheld by people like moldbug who have like an extremely iron-fisted authoritarian ideology that obviously as an anarchist i find it absolutely repugnant so why am i into patchwork and i think it's i think that patchwork is necessarily pluralist and 
that I mean, I I don't just think it is. I mean, it is. It is necessarily pluralist. That there's going to be many different patches that will form, and they're all they're all going to compete with each other in one way or another. So, I I think that I think that it would it, like a the lesbian the lesbian RX anti patch would very much coexist or could coexist with like communist egalitarian and other other queer patches in an egalitarian sense but okay. while ma- while maintaining a um while maintaining a healthy degree of exclusion and autonomy that's you know defined by the members of said patches and as far as like the communist part of it goes i think that i i'm very much um I, i'm very much in agreement with kevin carson the uh, anarchist um anarchist theorist writer guy that market anarchism of a non-ancap variety so like mutualism and agorism basically necessarily results in communism to a large extent because if you don't have if you don't have a state enforcing intellectual property and not just intellectual property but also essentially monopolies on various industries that things that that most of the the most of the commodities that we that we need well, especially the ones that we need are going to become so readily available and so cheap to produce that we'll effectively have communism for them anyway. But on the other hand, I think that mutualism and agorism is superior to a, um, like, I don't know. I, I, I'd be curious to know what your, th- what your thoughts are as far as co- how communist patches would form, because what immediately comes to my mind is anarcho-communism from, uh, you know, my background as an anarchist, my currently being an anarchist of some very weird sort. Um, uh, and I, so I know a, a decent amount of anarcho-communism, which is why I've went in the direction that I have towards being post-left and market anarchist. And like the biggest objection for me basically with like an anarcho-communist patch is that I think it would not, it would, it would not work out because we, haven't reached communism yet like we haven't reached full communism and even even if we abolished capitalism in the sense of uh even if like patchwork happened and there was no there was no like federal government um policing policing everything um policing intellectual property and maintaining uh maintaining the monopolies that various corporations have over industries I still don't think that we would be at a at a point of full communism. I think that we would in for very many resources have effectively have communism, but but you know, for for Marx, um communism is not just that. Communism is basically a state of post scarcity as I understand it. I mean, you probably know a lot more about Marx than I do, but no. no, no, I'm sure that I don't, but um and I don't have like a fully worked out model of how the communist patch would work and um also, I don't want to. I don't want to take us too far afield, so I won't go on like a really long rant on on how I see that. But thank you for asking, and I'm happy to tell. I'm happy to share a little bit about my thinking um, because I actually think it links up quite nicely with a lot of the stuff you're talking about. Um, I think like your lesbian neo reactionary vision might actually be quite um, consistent with, or might overlap with my kind of communist leaning vision uh, in ways that I think we'll just have to work out over time. But I think it's quite promising. I mean, I'll just say briefly that I guess to me, the reason why communism never works and never has worked. Um, and to the degree I'm a communist, it's, I, I'm definitely like of the, of the more anarchist variety of communists. 
Um, yeah, I, I gathered that. Yeah, but but honestly, I, to be honest, like these categories are so unwieldy nowadays. Like, um, you know, as someone who like professes lesbian neo reaction, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you can sympathize with like you know we're we're struggling to to use these like really traditional terms to make shorthand, uh, you know, slogans for like complex things we're trying to figure out. So, so I'm sure you, you get that, but so, I mean, I'm hardly a communist uh, or an anarchist really, but roughly, I mean, these are, these are words that do evoke some things that I'm still kind of interested in. And I would say just that the reason why the dream of communism has always failed in my view, it's mostly, you know, like coordination problems really, and, and trust problems. Um, and those historically have been insoluble. Um, and so historically, like whenever people try to do communism, it usually like what happens is lying tends to be used as like a, a substitute for trying to paper over the trust issues and trying to paper paper over the coordination problems. Um, and I guess, like I said, I haven't, I don't pretend to have fully worked out, but my feeling is my sense or intuition is that um, the, well, one, the acceleration of techno capitalism and things like the decreasing cost of things that we're observing with, um, you know, like technological, you know, the prices of technology and things like this, this like approaching of zero of the cost of many things such as software or whatever, um, is one, is one phenomenon that I think is one component of a game changer. Uh, I think also, uh, like social technologies. So for instance, like the notion of patchwork or like the, as, as these forms get developed, you know, it, that could also be a, a game changer, just like, you know, the joint stock corporation or double entry bookkeeping was a game changer for the takeoff of modern capitalism into this like totally different uh, uh, historical plane. I mean, I think that for many reasons, there might be a few different vectors that are converging right now to introduce at least the possibility of a, of a totally different engineering plane for like what social, what types of social forms are possible. So, so yeah, like de- decreasing costs of things, the near universal digitalization of, of like most phenomena. Um, and, uh, right. New forms such as like actually hammering out like the architecture of, of, of patchwork or something like that. Um, and then finally, I think, um, uh, I think that we're making certain like social psychological discoveries or insights that like we've never really made before to be honest like as a species and i don't want to start sounding all humanists like we're gonna like solve you know the problems of the species and and carry on triumphantly through the techno capitalist um atrocities but like i i'm I'm not at all very optimistic about that i'm more interested in like the the medium to the medium term like like how to have the best possible human experience over the past over the next like uh, 100 years you know like um like and I and I think that we are at a point where um, we understand more about hum- how humans work than ever. Um, like we're able to actually understand our inner mechanisms with a greater sophistication than ever. Um, and I don't just mean that in the techno kind of transhumanist sense. Like we're able to physically and bio- like hack ourselves. Although that's a, an interesting and promising component of it or a possibility. I actually mean more in terms of our knowledge of how our processes work. You know, so like especially for those of us who are kind of into the whole like Deleuze, Spinoza, Nietzsche kind of lineage, you know, um, like it's very fascinating to me how like contemporary, like very contemporary neuroscience, for instance, is like vindicating Spinoza's intuitions, you know, things like this. And, 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 and I think like the increasing availability of, of scientific 
uh, experimentation capacity, um, you know, like large scale data collection efforts, um, a large scale computer, you know, networking projects that are, and I know you're interested in this too, that can be done in small groups, like quite affordably and quite powerfully. Um, basically, these are all data points I'm or vectors I'm, I'm citing as, as reasons that I believe, you know, the historical coordination problems and the historical trust problems that I think have been the real um, major roadblock for the communist vision. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all convinced that, that, that those coordination and trust problems cannot possibly be um, solved basically by, by these, by these vectors I'm citing. And so, yeah, my, my vision is like, I think that you actually could imagine uh, cleverly kind of rewiring you know, our psychology, rewiring our formal relationships, rewiring our informal relationships um, in ways that basically solve the trust and coordination problems. And I'll just leave it at that because uh, it's very, I'd, I'd have to uh, think more about exactly how to convince people of how that would all work. But that's a, that's a short statement of, of what I'm seeing. Yeah. And this is also my interview, not yours. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's a, I, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that um, it's 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 hard to it's hard to talk about where I stand on like on something like like communism, for instance, in a way that's going to make sense to a lot of people. I think because I like I definitely I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying, as especially as far as like the possibilities for communication go um, with with um technology especially with open source technology or free with free software um like it's becoming increasingly easier and and increasingly there's become more of a network effect out there where people are getting tired of stuff of the the facebook google apple uh oligarchy that's basically in place or oligopoly and are moving towards completely decentralized alternatives like we're basically seeing a like renaissance in the internet for decentralization where the original aim of the internet was to be completely decentralized and we've seen a recentralization happen and that's kind of you know now it's becoming decentralized again with stuff like well not specifically bitcoin bitcoin is like the most well known of them but bitcoin has its own problems as far as recentralization goes but as far as cryptocurrencies go as far as free software goes and free software alternatives for social net for social networking like like mastodon and matrix um hollow chain and and its opportunities for both decentralized um decentralized exchange of currencies and also decentralized uh hosting and sharing of of data uh I guess, and it's it's hard to it's hard to really situate myself in all of this because on the one hand, uh, being a post leftist, I have a lot of disdain for the left, and I'm very critical of it because I think that most of it is is essentially just like you were talking about how communism has failed because of trust issues. There's and there's this there's this uh, one anarchist, um, this one anarchist uh, writer uh, on Twitter. Uh, who mentioned this once that the the problem with anarcho communists is that they're always trying to basically posture and get more social clout in their um in like their uh in their collectives and 
So it's it's interesting you bring that up, and I guess the response I have to like that specifically is we we may be reaching a point where it's easier to circumvent these these problems with trust. But then on the other hand, the market already provides a trustless system for doing things. Uh, right. But then, well, but is that, yeah, I mean, you can think about that in two ways. Like you can think of that as the, you know, the, like trustless is an, is a very fascinating concept because you could think of that as the, you know, obsolescence of trust, or you could think about it as the perfection of trust, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's kind of like we're, it's kind of like both things are just near converging at the same point through, through different, through either, I guess, culture and community type stuff in the case of communism versus the, the uh, economics and technology of, on the other hand, of like uh, more market based stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about also because on the one hand, I, like a lot of a lot of uh, my influences with my my um the the views that I've put forward and I'm working on and have attempted to put forward are influenced by by Marx, um, which might be surprising for being an anarchist, um, and especially by um, nihilist communism, which was a book by this. Uh, Marxist, I guess you could maybe describe him as a left com. I'm sure, I, although I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate that. Uh, but he, this uh, communist, um, uh, Monsieur Dupont, wrote. Uh, I, I don't know. If, I don't even know if that's the right way to pronounce it. But he wrote this book, Nihilist Communism, that is basically like, basically, um, was a big influence on my cyber nihilism series. I don't know if you've read, if you are familiar with that at all, but a little bit, I don't recall too much, but yeah. Well, basically it was a big influence on me because it was one of the first things I read that really made me realize that there's no way to achieve communism without, without accelerating capital, basically that Mm -hmm. capitalism is not going to just collapse because you want it to, or because you raise enough consciousness to, somehow just force it to stop existing like it's going to it's going to continue until production has made capitalism obsolete if production is until our production power is so much that capitalism is an obsolete system for managing our resources hmm. um mm-hmm. but i think that we've i think we've maybe gone a little off topic as far as lesbian or x and GAC <laughs> goes i forget right. if we had anything oh you know uh, there was actually one other thing on that topic that i just remembered yeah as as far as the question of egalitarianism and communism in lesbian rx um and part of it has to do with um uh and actually crypt asked a question earlier i was going about... to get i was going to get to that i was going to ask if you wanted to talk to that yeah um we can I, I don't remember exactly what the question was but you know what i'm about to say will dovetail right into it so okay. i'll just cool. say my thing and then we can go go from there but as far as the egalitarianism or lack thereof or whatever, or a little bit of both of lesbian or X goes, mm-hmm. this kind of, this goes back to a lot of tweets that I've made that are both jokingly, that are both jokes, but also I'm being serious about when I talk about validity discourse and how much I hate validity discourse. Um, you know, like in queer circles, especially in trans circles, um, <clears throat> just 
this extremely universalist kind of uh, theoretical understanding of gender where everybody's just always talked about in terms of, oh, you're valid, you're valid, you're all valid. Any, anything you, any, uh, any, any way you feel about your gender or sexuality is just valid. And that goes directly into the type of gender accelerationism or whatever you want to call it that I was uh, um, distingu- disti- distinguishing, distinguishing myself from earlier. Okay. Uh, the uh, let a thousand sexes bloom type. Where, on the one hand, I don't care if people want to whatever people want to identify as, because ultimately, ultimately, your 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 personal gender identification doesn't even matter in like a social context, is what I feel. Um, and so, on the one hand, you can identify as whatever you want, and if anybody tries to police that, then you should use any means necessary to stop it, because that's really gross and unnecessary and fascist and bad. But on the other hand, as far as my theoretical positions goes, and to some extent my per- my personal prejudices that I will never make public because there's no need to. It's just ab- kind of abusive to do it. Um, it. Is that not everybody is not everybody is valid? Gen- gender has gender has a basis to at least some extent in quote-unquote real biological stuff like coming from like a radical feminist position gender to a very to to the very least even though even if it's to even though gender itself is like a social construct or whatever um i mean my opinions on that are even are more complicated also but we'll get into that in a minute when we address the thing crip brought up but um you know to whatever extent gender is a social construct it's still it still originates in something that is like hard scientific biological, which is, um, which is sex and the kind of pr- the primordial, uh, power, power opposition or, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of like the right way to put it, but basically like the, the primordial kind of power structure between male and female, where, like I mentioned earlier, as far as like, for the sake of continuing the species goes, women have a biological duty to reproduce. And that, that essentially makes them subordinated to men in a way, because, because pregnancy, pregnancy makes women, pregnancy makes women more vulnerable to men. And it makes the, you know, there has to be like special care take to make sure that women have a safe pregnancy and don't die, especially before modern medicine, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it was really very common for women to die in childbirth. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of, that play, that pretty much forces women into a into a uh, position where they have to bide their time until and kind of a uh, and kind of play play at the uh, the play at the history of the human race in a way where they're ultimately going to win. Like Sadie Plant talks about this in in zeros plus ones how. Uh, I think it was it's she's talking about peacocks in it how how it it would seem that peacocks evolved to have like male peacocks evolved to have more feathers to attract attract a female mate but in a lot of cases with peacocks or other animals um like the males are evolved in a way that makes their survival less likely uh, like peacocks, for instance, having bright feathers and 
having very bright and ornate feathers makes you an easier easier for for predators to see you. You don't have any camouflage. And another, my I mean, my personal favorite example of this is uh, anglerfish, uh, the black sea devil, or actually, I think the black sea devil might not have the specific dimorphism, but in a lot of deep sea anglerfish. Um, there's a, a a very very pronounced gender dimorphism, where the male is a, like a tiny little thing that it's uh, that it basically its whole point it, the whole reason it exists is to find a female mate that it then fuses itself to, and um, provides uh, the sperm for it, the female to reproduce. Um, so basically, though, it's for Sadie Plant. In a lot of cases, it seems that the male is less adapted to survive, and it's actually the way. And actually, the way it works, as far as evolution goes, and how this ultimately works out for females and for women, is that masculinity is kind of like a heat sink of sorts to test um, how well adapted genes are, and so it, it, males intentionally are less fit to survive in a lot of cases. Because that ensures that it makes it harder for them to survive, and that the strong only the strongest ones will survive to pass on their genes. So it's that's what I'm kind of alluding to as far as like the long con that women have to partake in in order to win out against men. Okay. Advantage. Okay. Biologically. Well, so sorry. I know no, no. Long. No, you don't have to apologize at all. It's great. Um, just so okay. So there's a lot there. I mean, I guess we could. I guess I I want to kind of just sort of uh channel what you were saying into a little bit more in- directly into into crypt's question what he made he raised a few questions but i i pulled them up and i'm looking at them um so like the first one was just whether or not w- you think that there's a biological etiology to transgenderism or transsexuality um and it sounds like if i'm hearing you correctly you are not at all you know concerned or uh afraid of admitting like certain biological uh, phenomena behind like the transsexual or transgender um, like process. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I think that as again, talking about like validity discourse and whatnot. Yes. Um, you, gave, you gave a good preface saying that like, you know, everyone should be able to, you know, do whatever they want and say, describe themselves however they feel. And if someone is trying to impose something otherwise, that's fucked up and should be stopped. I think you were very clear on that. And I, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly bringing that up again because I also mentioned how there's, there's both a, uh, there's both a kind of political moral, whatever side to it of like validity discourse is fine in that capacity, obviously. And then on the other hand, there's a theoretical background to that um, of like, do you, actually believe that everybody is valid or do you just say everybody is valid because it's the best way it's because it's the most i don't know the most compassionate the most compassionate way to uh to uh to treat other people and also just makes the most sense um and i yeah so i definitely think that and this kind of goes back to what i said earlier that i've ignored most mainstream feminist thought and um maybe it maybe has contributed towards my opinion on this but i even though i my my brand or whatever is being kind of like radical feminism plus accelerationism accelerationism yeah in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases 
in a lot of cases, I I feel like I feel like most feminist theory is very is very very bad that either <laughs> that either it's um either it, either you have second wave type feminist feminism that often can result in turfism and uh trans exclusionary feminism where the where it says where they say that gender is a, that gender is a social construct and therefore doesn't exist at all and the only thing that matters is sex so therefore if you don't have a uterus then you're not a woman because woman is only being the female sex and nothing else or then on the other hand you have third wave validity discourse type people that are of the opinion that everybody is valid and that biological sex doesn't really have anything to do with it at least in, not in any significant way and for me i think it's a little bit of both and uh in that you um bi- biological sex is important for reasons that i described previously that biological sex is what creates these these uh power disparities in the first place and and ultimately creates the social construct of gender and gender itself is i i think i i've said this several times but i think it's way more useful to talk about gender as a hyperstition that gender is not real but gender makes itself real because it ha- and gender has gender makes itself real starting in starting in the in uh, biological sex that it's based off of. So as far as like, I think hopefully that gets towards answering the question, but um, as far as, but as far as like trans people, as far as trans people go and whether there's a, whether there's like a kind of neurological, I I, I don't know exactly. I I don't remember exactly how Crip said it. I don't have my Twitter in front of me because I, I, yeah, I, okay. I I've never mentioned this on Twitter. I don't think because I'm super paranoid about it. But after but when I got banned from my old account, I basically, um, I only I now only use Twitter through like through a VPN and through hmm. a browser that has no fi- has no fingerprint. <laughs> so oh really? That, so that Twitter can't like be like, oh, this is somebody who's circumventing a ban because I don't know how what they use to do that. Are you cir- like, are you circumventing a ban? Yeah, my old account got banned. The real Nick's Nick Land. Land. Nick's Land on Life. No, my old one at real Nick Land. Oh right, so that one's is done. Yeah, it got. I, I, I. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you know if you had known about that because you follow a ton of people on Twitter. I'm realizing, but yeah, my old account got banned, and that's sorry. I mean, that was just a little aside that I thought was kind of. No, that's interesting. Fun. I I was I was curious about that. So you're you're you think that like you logging into your current Twitter account, you think Twitter has a way of watching that and connect, like think like you think they, they kind of penalize you on the back end for that. Well, I know that Twitter will track people if, and and to determine if they're circumventing a ban by possibly using IP address based bans, but also maybe using browser fingerprinting. I don't know if it's that, if they have, to what extent they do that because all of Twitter's software is closed source so nobody can know but yeah um I was just saying that because I don't have Crips tweet in front of me right now oh, okay but, um, but yeah I, yeah I, well I actually I actually do uh but I mean we don't need to we don't need to like 
pick it apart and answer every single detail. But I, I think it's it's good to just try to respond to the spirit of because it's cool when people give like really thoughtful, specific questions. So we should try to entertain them. Um, well, I was I mean, just thinking specifically about how about what the term was that he how in what terms he put it as far as like if trans if being trans is based in any uh, the, neurological or whatever. The the first question he asked was the biological etiology to transsexuality, and I'm pretty sure. Uh, in a non-technical sense, that means like the the driver of it, like the causes of it, basically. So in other words, like what makes someone um, decide to transition, for instance, like do you do you agree with the literatures that suggest there is a, a, a significant uh, biological determination of that, a biological causality to to that trigger to decide to um, to to transition? Um or, you know, however you want to interpret that. Like, do you think there are like basically, um, in other words, like non-agential causes, just like a biological process? Or do you think, or I guess on the, the opposite end, end would be, you know, that it's like purely performative, like a Judith Butler kind of view that um, it's just completely up to the, you know, creative performative activity of the agent or something like that. Not to, not to like, uh, you know, uh, straw man, Judith Butler, or anything like that. But, uh, that would be, I think like the, the opposite viewpoint. Right. Um, I, sorry, I just got another notification. I was checking real quick. Um, That's okay. I mean, you also might just not have strong opinions on this. And like, I don't want you to think like as a trans person, you have to like answer this or something like, I mean, it's oh, all no, like, no, you know. I, no, I, I, no, I definitely want to answer it. Um, cool. so, the i the thoughts that i've had on this before which may or may not be very a very kind of rigorous way of thinking about these things because i because i don't really i don't have any kind of background in um i don't have any kind of background in like sec, in like psychology or uh neurology type stuff i mean i'm a i'm a i i majored in philosophy and i know some stuff about computer science and that's that's so but that being said, I think that um, I think that I think that in, to whatever extent there's any kind of biological basis for being trans, it it's a it's it's a combination, like I said, of the biological and also social components. That on the one hand, I think that there are maybe traits about about people, um, be they personality or otherwise that are not obviously are not in and of themselves feminine necessarily but that get gendered as, as secondarily as feminine depending on the culture you live in because i mean right. to a large extent i think that there's a more or less universal kind of experience of of gender as far as like if you share the same gender as somebody then it's going to be kind it's going to be mostly the same throughout cultures and throughout history but not not entirely because there are you know there are different times in history where gender norms have been different in just the West and then also in other non-Western societies there have been differences in gender norms and gender roles. But that being said, I, so that being said, I think that there is, to, is I think that there is to some extent a basis in like if you if you are for lack of a better back, lack of a better term if you're born a certain way then you're just going to end up secondarily identifying with um, with uh, femininity or masculinity. 
or whatever, or a combination of the two, or something entire, something else maybe. Okay. Um, and I and I think that uh, the that's also an interesting point to bring up in regards to gender accelerationism, because as I was talking about before, I think that uh, like you could say maybe that to some extent. There's, it seems like there's more trans people these days because um, there's just more visibility for them. And I think to, uh, that's very true to a great extent. But then but then I also think that that uh, basically that the, the tra- being trans is a product of futurity, uh, specifically, at least in gender accelerationism, that being a trans woman is a product of futur- futurity. Because like I was saying, I think that there are there are a lot of factors, um, both environmentally, with um, the, with changes in the in the Earth's climate, changes in, and changes in the environments that humans live in that are that contribute towards that are contribute towards feminizing um, feminizing people, or at least making them imminently like more predisposed to femininity. Okay, which I think is something that has probably happened over many generations alongside civilization. Okay. Um, so you you do think that there's a kind of um, increase in the prevalence of transgenderism, which is caused by social, uh, economic, technological factors? Yes, yeah, specifically specifically trans femininity. Um, so that's that's fascinating, and and I think that's like a pl- perfectly plausible. I think it's like an open question, is the way I see it personally. Um, I mean. I guess if I could, if I could kind of respond a little bit to Crip's question also, I mean, I would say that I'm, you know, I'm not a sex expert by any means. I'm not a biologist. I'm, I'm a social scientist, but you know, really not that kind of, um, I'm not even really a proper like psychologist. Um, but I do. It's I a read, good thing that it's a good thing that you're married because saying on stream that you're not a sex expert is a bad look. <laughs> I, sick burn, sick, <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway, I mean, go on. My, my wife would probably uh, also tell you I'm not a sex expert, but um, <laughs> although I don't know, maybe she would say otherwise. We'll have, to, we'll have someone will have to ask her at some point. Anyway, um, yeah, like the way. So I was giving a preface that I'm not at all like an expert on on this stuff, but I I read you were saying before that um, you keep getting asked questions about uh, Ray Blanchard and. You know, I have a hypothesis as to why that is. It might be because Alice Dreger's book, um, I think, has gotten a lot of attention recently, and uh, it's quite a good book. I don't know if you, if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, she no, was bas- I'm not. Yeah, so basically, she was an academic, um, and she basically wrote this book about all of the a bunch of cases of very interesting and profound instances where basically, like, social activists came into conflict with science scientific research of different kinds and so she does a few different case studies of basically about the how messy this gets um and how it's basically it's basically all these uh stories and data about how um activism and kind of moralism uh and different types of like cultural entrepreneurs um like really aggressively try to kind of like paper over and uh like the findings of science basically and and like go on harassment campaigns against scientific researchers to discredit them and spread all kinds of like disinformation. Um, and it's, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty profound uh, set of stories. Like it goes, it goes pretty deep and I think it's uh, quite a good book. So I'm, I'm recommending it as a book uh, generally, but one of the cases is um, the case of 
uh, Michael Bailey in particular. Uh, I don't know if you know his book, uh, The Man Who Would Be Queen. It's basically in the tradition of of the Ray Blanchard work. Um, he studies, uh, yeah, basically the causes of of transgenderism or transsexuality, and uh, basically, so yeah, for people who are listening, by the way, who like don't know what we're talking about. So uh, just very briefly, the, the 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 their model is basically that there are two, there are primarily two forms of of transgenderism or two like types of cases of transgenderism, two, two fundamental different types of reasons why people become trans. Um, and one is it came mentioned, it was mentioned before in the comments, autogynophilia, which is basically, it's like a, it's basically like a kink. It's like a sexual fetish. It's a desire. People get turned on. Like if a man specifically, we're talking about male to female trans trans, um, like that some men get really turned on by the idea of, um, being a woman and they pursue transgenderism, uh, for that route. Uh, and mind you, like if any of this sounds problematic, like, uh, m- like the, I think I'm pretty sure like even Michael Bailey and, uh, like Ray Blanchard are pretty, like, they're not like they're, I don't, I actually don't, from what I got from Alistair's book, they're not actually like, uh, transphobic or, or anti-trans. Maybe they might've been insensitive, insensitive or said some fucked up shit here and there or whatever. But as far as I know, they both say that like, these are perfectly fine reasons to transition and they're not like trying to discredit or invalidate anything just as a caveat. Uh, anyway, the, the basic idea is that sexuality. Um, and so and specifically it tends to be cases of like um, what we might call quote unquote twinkish um, uh, gay men who basically pursue trans transitioning gender as, as a kind of adaptive strategy for basically like circumventing like the harsh patriarchal, you know, suppression or, or repression or whatever, or punishment of, of homosexuality. Uh, so that's, they, they do all this research and, and, uh, according to the empirical data that they all gather, uh, those are basically the overwhelmingly like the two, uh, they explain that those two possible types explain most of the available data on like why some people transition and why some people don't. Uh, as I said, I'm not an expert. I don't know exactly the depths of like how true or false that is. But as far as I could tell, I mean, I think, you know, it's like, I think that that's fairly consistent with at least uh, a good amount of the data. I guess where I come down, da- where I come down on that is like, I don't actually think that that's like, too problematic. Like, I don't think that like normatively or ethically, like, I don't think it's that uh, horrifying to to identify that there are biological processes that account for some and even maybe a, a, a good number of uh, maybe even most cases of, of, tra- of transgenderism. And to also say, like what you said, Nick's like, if someone wants to, if someone says that they're trans, if someone says they're a man, if someone says they're a woman, like, then that's just that you respect that. Like it's just an asshole, like repressive move to, to, to say anything else or to try to do anything else in response to that. Um, so I think it's like, as long as you affirm that, then like the scientific data, the Blanchard model, like I, I, I think it's like plausible as far as it goes. And I don't think it's that, that problematic, uh, personally, I don't know if you want to respond to any of that, but. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting. Um, I, I, in, in part, I find it really interesting because I, because it's, it would seem like the, uh, social activists who want to repress that are basically then saying it's not legitimate to transition if you have AGP, assuming it's real. Um, right. Like, it's, like if you, or whatever, if you, it's not legitimate to transition if you are, if it's, if you're doing it f- f- 
for I don't even know how that would work as a kink thing to permanently change your body. Like, are you just going to be horny all the time? Then I don't know. But <laughs> but assuming assuming that this has any any scientific merit or any merit even in terms of like kind of critical theory, queer feminist stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 interesting to me that that that's considered not a legitimate a, a legitimate reason. But then on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, it's also um, not clear to me what the opposing view to it is. That's con that's at least a coherent one. Like if be if have if it's not AGP, if if AGP is not a legitimate reason to transition. Uh, then what is it that makes you a quote-unquote real woman or whatever, uh, quote, whatever your gender is? I mean, obviously, I'm going to use woman as default for being because I'm trans and whatever. But um, you know, so what is there? What is the what is legit? What is legitimate as far as being a real woman is concerned? And is and for like the bulk of uh, queer and feminist theory and um, culture activism type stuff, the narrative is that you're that you're born that you're born that way and that you the for what for whatever reason there's like a that's just inherently how you are and if that's in if that's inherently how you are that you're just inherently trans and wouldn't that also be saying that you that there's some kind of neurological basis for being for being trans if you are don't if you're not on board with the idea that agp is legitimate and then if you're not if that's not your opinion either and it, then you then you fall into this like you you just fall into this black hole of validity discourse that doesn't have any strong kind of critical weight to it at all and then ultimately i think what you fall into is what is like the truest realization of this is gender nihilism which is hmm. a very niche a very niche position in like queer theory that basically as far as i understand it is it's kind of like the idea that gender gender doesn't real so we should just not perform gender or not believe in gender or something like that mm. which i mean i think i mean on the one hand i it it appeals to me for being somebody who's interested in nihilism and has identified themselves as a nihilist in many cases but then on the other hand it seems to me like almost almost a passive nihilism in like a Nietzschean sense where it's just it's just like now gender isn't real, we should just not we should just ignore it. Ignore gender discourse altogether. Is what it, that's at least what, what that what that line of thought seems to ultimately fall out into. So then looking at it from like the other side that maybe AGP is legitimate is um it's very interesting to me because it, because on the because first of all I, I I don't understand why so many people ignore this but it's not but sexuality is a lot more complicated in humans than th this discourse makes it out to be like it's like I was saying earlier if you are have AGP and you transition that doesn't does you know are you not a trans woman if you aren't if you aren't horny or are you just all the time are you turned on all the time now if you're if you transition to a trans woman and you have agp like how does that even work and right. i think 
and I, I think that as far as as far as like any kind of connection between sexuality and gender, specifically being trans, goes, it's more that um, in general sexuality is wrapped up with human interaction and uh, even our own personal psychology and experiences of the world and our emotions in very complicated ways. So like, like, um, like a good example of this that um, has been pointed out before for people, for people like asking um, uh, about AGP and like, Oh, well, am I really, am I really trans if I, if I have ever gotten turned on at the idea of being a woman and it's like, um, it's, it, there are lots of, there are lots of cases, at least in, at least in males, obviously I wouldn't know how this works with people who were assigned to female at birth. Um, but at least as far as males go, uh, there are a lot of cases where there'll be like arousal or at least, um, at least like things that like becoming erect or whatever that are associated with that, that are not in, that are not in sexual contexts. So mm -hmm. how do you, so then how do you, how do you explain that if you're, if you're um, submitting to this view that right. sexuality is a simple one-on-one, one, 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 if you're turned on, then you have a fetish for something or what have you. Right. I think also like the, the easiest and most obvious sort of counter argument or addition to that, to the Blanchard model is just that there is also maybe another type of case that's less common, maybe, but legitimate just as well, which is perhaps the, the one that you're referring to with your kind of like cultural, um, cultural influence model, which is there is like a new, a new type or a new vector in which, um, perhaps like indi individuals are, you know, leaning towards uh, gender transitioning for, for new types of reasons. Like that's a, that's a perfectly plausible and it's perfectly an open empirical question. And I mean, I think there's some data for that too, because like you see, I mean, definitely it seems very clear to me that like queer queerness on some, in some, in a broader sense is like way more popular now. Like you see way more like, you know, normal people like in, experimenting with like, you know, queer uh, presentation. Um, so like, it's plausible to me that within that kind of vector, there is like a non-trivial number of, of people who are like, uh, yeah, basically like transgender for like purely autonomous, like creative, personal, you know, uh, personal, personal performative, you know, creative reasons or something like that. Like, I, I don't think, not, I don't think anything about the Blanchard model says there can't be like significant cases of, of that. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's actually, uh, that's kind of like a funny that you brought that up because I was actually just, um, just the other day. I mean, that just made me think about this as far as like how things have changed culturally. But the other day was, um, was watching uh was watching red letter media and they were doing a best of the worst episode on this like this christian propaganda thing basically from like the 90s on how the internet is bad because of porn and there was like a section in it where the uh speaker very casually mentioned how the the, the gay mentioned the gay lifestyle and how 
uh, people are being recruited into the gay lifestyle by the internet and how we ha- how it has to be stopped because it's bad. And it was very, very funny to me to see that because again, again, you're like, yeah, and that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's great that the, the it's great that the internet is is amplifying sexuality and recruiting people into being gay or whatever but yeah it's um it's really interesting i guess how in just 20 years how how strongly things have changed we're now even we're, we're now like even like in a, most christian settings except for like in the deep south probably um being christian and being and saying that gay people being gay is a sin or something is pretty not accepted at all at least for like cis gay people especially cis gay men i mean for like trans people there's a whole different dimension to it because and it's just not just with trans people it's um like i was just talking today with um with my partner about something um related to body modifications in the body modification community and apparently there's some kind of controversy going on now with that where uh people in the body modification community who do body modifications are getting um are getting attacked by journalists basically uh and also by like health organ some kind of like health organizations or something and you also see this type of thing with um a couple of years ago when people when Google Glass first came out and people were getting attacked for wearing Google Glass in the streets that um, people there's like a whole different dimension to being trans where people are really uncomfortable and scared at the idea of people changing their bodies in like a way that in like a way that they choose to with like some like agency involved. Mm. Um, So that's, that's like, it's, I guess it's, I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's interesting to point that out in relation to what you were just saying with AGP and Blanchard, that there might be another mode of being trans that's emerging alongside um it, it being both both more culturally represented and accepted to to um perform different kind of modes of sexuality and gender expression that don't have any that aren't based in any kind of biological determinism or like reproductive futurism and that also and also just having the freedom to like having more freedom to do such things like like in, even in the 90s it was really, really hard for trans people to get access to hormones. Um, and most of the time it was expected that you would, if you were going to transition, you also had to, uh, you had to get, um, you had to get SRS, uh, sexual reassignment surgery, or you were not legitimate. But anyway, um, yeah, it, bringing it back to AGP though, it's, I, I don't think, it, I don't know if it's been brought up yet, but it's far, how I've always seen AGP described also because you mentioned how, uh, for I, I think I think you said this was for Blanchard, but also was just a common view at the time that trans women were basically just extremely homosexual men, and well, that that's another type is what they argue. It's a separate like pathway for transgenderism. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. At least as far as like what we today call straight uh, trans women, back then they would call it um, homosexual trans women because because they're they're both quote on because they're a man and a quote unquote man um if you're a straight trans woman back then but right but yeah um it's so basic but yeah so basically um the belief back then would be that trans women are only are 
even not really legitimate necessarily, but just that trans women are who are straight are just extremely heterosexual men, and then AG, women who are AGP or trans women who are AGP are. Oh, sorry, I said extremely heterosexual. I meant homosexual a second ago. I misspoke. But um, but then trans women who have AGP are straight men who get off on the idea of being a woman supposedly and these also these types of trans women are um are trans women that we would today call queer because they are trans women that are not are into the idea of like being a woman and being and being with a woman i think is also how how that works right with agp it is obviously is interesting interesting me <laughs> being not not since i'm not straight um so you know agp would in blanchard's view i guess apply to me um yeah i don't know we've talked a lot about agp i've kind of not i'm not sure exactly where to go from from there yeah no i mean i think we've we've covered so much ground this has been really awesome and and interesting in so many ways um I think I think we we covered all of the components of Crypt's question uh, as well as we could have hoped to. Um, to be honest with you, I mean we've been talking for so long now. I'm like pretty fried. It's it's for me. It's eleven forty eight at night, and I'm coming up since I started at nine. I'm coming up on three hours now, so I'm I'm starting to be a bit fried. But if you have the brain power, maybe I could ask you just one more question, which comes from the audience. Are you are you cool with that? Yeah. Um. So Lee wants me to ask you um about the increase in diy cutter culture and exotic genital mods component and its growing black market and how does that all how does that comport with your paradigm um and lee adds that they started as a eunuch then moved to transfem that's really interesting. You know, I, I I honestly haven't even considered that point that that uh that dimension to it because I mean I I mentioned body modification a couple minutes ago. Personally, I'm not a part of the body modification community or anything like that. Um, I mean, at some point, I want to get some like piercings in my face and stuff, but I can't do that yet. But otherwise, I'm not really involved in that community, so it's not even something I thought of. But you know, I think that Sadie Plant mentions this a little bit in Zeros Plus Ones. I mean, she's specifically talking just about trans people, and um, but she also, or no, actually, she's not even specifically talking about trans people. She mentions body modification in in that um, in uh, that section of it. I, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to find it, but um, I probably wouldn't be able to find it right now. But yeah, I, I think that. Um, I think that the I think that the body modification community and specifically stuff have that's related to like things that are gendered uh extreme genital bo- body modification or other other stuff that's gendered um is on in 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 part might relate to huh in part it might relate to um what I was talking about earlier as far as like the let a thousand sexes bloom thing ha- that I mentioned, like I think, th- I I think maybe I should clarify that a little bit too. That it's I, I think that let a thousand sexes bloom is not revolutionary 
not going to be the thrust of history as far as this war between the sexes I've alluded to many times goes, but I do think it's something that likely will happen. I think that like you were mentioning how you're, you're mentioning how it's becoming increasingly more accepted for even like cis quote unquote, cis quote unquote, het people to, um, to experiment with like their sexuality and, and, uh, gender expression. Um, I mean, to be fair, in a lot of cases, at least as far as it goes with Ben, I think that it's kind of comic, comically, comic, like comic toxic masculinity, like where you have people who are like, these straight, these straight men have sex with each other, but they're still straight type. Like, the, like I've seen many articles like that, and I'm just like, roll my eyes and like, you're not straight, just accept it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think that I think that maybe the like it's especially interesting to me that it's a, that it's like an illegal underground kind of body modific that the, this body modification community is an illegal underground thing, or maybe I don't know if it's illegal, but it's at least underground and black market. Obviously, that interests me as somebody who's into market anarchism and agorism, because you know agorism is the idea that um, market a like market anarchist tactic should be to. Um, make use of black markets and to encourage their growth. And maybe the, this might tie into some stuff I've talked about before. Um, like I have a blog post I put up recently about that, about um, DIY hormones, uh, that I think that DIY hormones and DIY um, uh, DIY gender confirmation uh, technologies, um, be they pharmaceutical or surgical, are a basically going to end up being a necessary kind of component to gender accelerationism because i don't because as i because as long as um as long as being trans is basically imprisoned in in capitalism as we know it as like a kind of corporate oligopoly uh where where um pharmacy like uh the uh, protocols for synthesizing hormones are all like held behind draconian patent laws and all that i don't think that gender accelerationism is really going to be able to flourish t- until we get to a point where diy uh hormone hacking diy body hacking and all of that becomes more viable i mean we're already seeing that to some extent with crispr and i think that that's just going to become more and more um that's going to become more and more uh, going to gain more me- momentum, and the more that stuff like this gains momentum, the more um, the more it becomes impossible for uh for the state basically to um police and regulate even trans people and trans and transitioning. Because even today, um, you know, I mentioned a couple minutes ago that in the '90s it w- was really really hard to transition. Even today, um, uh, I was. I I was in uh when I was in I was in California uh I was living in California still when I when I um started when I like started HRT and even today in California the most liberal state in the country you still have to like go well at least for where where I what my healthcare provider was it, you know it also varies but you know, even today, you have to kind of, you at least have to do like a, as a formality, you have to go to a therapist and have them like, and they have to talk to you and, you know, ask you about your 
your gender history and all that before you can get signed on to start taking HRT. And being somebody who's very opposed to uh, stuff, very opposed to the state and control and uh, intellectual property and all of that kind of stuff. I, I think that I think that it's going to be a great accelerant uh, for um, that kind of stuff to become like anybody can do it. Anybody can just download the plans to download like the protocols to synthesize their own hormones and use household products to do it. Uh, so I, I anyway, that's an extremely long winded question. But basically, I think that in the cases of people like like underground body mod people, that that's basically just they're spearheading what I think is going to be the future for gender acceleration type stuff. Okay, that was an excellent answer. Um, so it just so happens that we're now getting inundated with new questions. And unfortunately, people, I'm really sorry, but we're not going to be able to answer them all. I've been on this stream for three hours. They can um, ask me on my retro spring also. There you go. You can ask um, Nick's questions directly if you want. Or what I was going to say, Nick's, is because, I mean, it's been really fun talking with you and really illuminating and fascinating. So um, since there seems to be, like, lots of questions and people want to hear you talk about more stuff, um, we could just do this again in the future sometime if you're game. Uh, can... Yeah, sure. I, I think that before we leave, though, we should we need to talk about necrophilia. Okay. We need to talk about the necrophilia question because everybody... I think that your camera or something cut out. Hey, Audio. sorry, I dropped out. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Sorry, I think I just, my computer probably overheated. Um, yes, okay, I, I have just enough brain glucose to uh, have a short discussion about necrophilia, if you'd like. Yes, um, I love to talk about necrophilia. The questions that we're getting right now are about, I don't know if you're following the chat, but um, people won't really want us to talk about slime girls. Um, which to be honest, I would, I would quite like to know more about slime girls. Cause that's another thing I just don't understand at all really. Um, but, uh, we don't have to do all of this tonight. Like I said, I can make a note of these things and I'll put them in a little file and we could just do a round two at some later, at some point later at your convenience, if you, if you wish next. Um, but we can talk about, uh, so I'll make a note of these other questions, but we can talk about necrophilia. So, um, what should we talk I can about? Also talk, yeah, I can talk about necrophilia and slime girls right now. Also, if, if you if you have the bandwidth to do both of them. Otherwise I think we at the very least need to talk about necrophilia. Um, um, all right, let's, you know what, if you're game, like, let's do it. Um, I just need to, let me get, um, a glass of water or something and we'll do both. Um, if you, if you want to. Yep. I'm that's perfect. Sounds great. Cool. I'm always the one who wants to like go deeper, go longer and talking. And, and, and so like, if someone wants to, like I'm, I'm, I'm down to, uh, push myself to the absolute like breaking point of how long I can go. So, all right, everyone, I'll be right back. Maybe, um, maybe Nick's, you could like talk to them about something real quick oh, when I'm, when I'm uh, gone. I need, um, to, I need to find the stream. You can, yeah. Or, if you go to the video page, you should be able to pop out the chat. Um, I, or I could just give you something off here to, to riff on. Um, well, it's on, it's on YouTube, right? Yeah. If you go to the YouTube page, you should be able to see the chat. Uh, can you, can you, oh. uh, DM me that on, on, uh, on Twitter, not on Twitter, on the other, on, on yeah, the other thing? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but you know, I, I won't be too long. Can I just give you like a random topic off the chat? Um, sure. Unless, unless you just want it for your own. 
Uh, no, just just uh, give me a random topic. Cool. So here's um, someone wants you to talk about. Um, do you want to talk about? Oh, someone says talk about Kevin Carson. Do you want to just for a minute while I'm while I run to the bathroom and get a drink of water? Uh, what specifically about Kevin Carson? That's a pretty broad question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Someone just said. Um, let's see. Oh, and Lee Lee says thank you. By the way. Um, Let's see. Uh, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> this this chat is funny. You'll have to read it on your own time. It's like uh, some pretty interesting. Who's Brian Silva? I have no clue. Um, I don't uh, know. Okay, look, I'll be back in like 20 seconds. <laughs> I'm sure people can wait. People, if you're listening to this, uh, you go take a bathroom break or get a drink of water or something. Uh, we'll be right back. And next, if you want to uh, riff about anything in the 30 seconds while I'm gone, feel free. <laughs> I'll be right back. All right. Well, I guess I guess as far as Kevin Carson goes, um, I really need to open the chat. I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh I'm I'm not super well read with Kevin Carson's stuff yet. He's I mean he's written a couple books that are rather long, and I I'm trying to I'm trying to find the the YouTube link right now. Um. Yeah, Kevin Carson's but Kevin Carson's written a couple a couple really long books, and I the stuff that I've read from him has been has been uh what was it i i'm let's see i i it was only like a couple of his older essays one of them was on neoliberalism or and professionalism or something like that and something else was on intellectual property or something like that i don't know but yeah, I think th- I mean Kevin Carson is is one of the uh oh look who's back. Uh yeah, I was just talking about talking shit about me. No, I was just yeah, I was just rambling about Kevin Carson. I I'm cuz I I've I've read a little bit of his stuff, but I'm not super familiar with him. Like the thing that resonated with me the most about Kevin Carson's like basic beliefs and why I and why I uh, bring him up a lot is his idea of market of market anarchism as a basically like a mode of achieving communism because it seems to it seems to for me be a very be very like uh, dialectical I guess like it seems to just work as far as like Marx's ideology or not not Marx's ideology that's 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 extremely wrong to call it an ideology. His his as far as like his political economy goes, but you know, obviously, also uh, being an accelerationist, I would think that I would think of Marx as being kind of an accelerationist himself. But yeah, I mean, as far as like Kevin Carson goes, and uh, why I specific, specifically talk about Kevin Carson when talking about market anarchism, I think that Kevin Carson is great because he is. First of all, he's a modern, a modern has a modern take on mutualism, and he is. It's a form of anarchism that allows for the market without regressing into basically being a form of statism, which is what I think anarcho-capitalism is. 
Like, I think that all of anarcho-capitalism is basically trying to legislate the same exact things that the state does, but in something that they consider to be acceptable in their own worldview. So like the non-aggression principle, for instance, and their, how they talk about like how they're so into peace and stuff and how they just want everybody to get along um, and how they're, they're, the world that they imagine is going to be so, is going to be so great and nice. That's kind of, for me, is just like, it is just a, exactly the same sort of discourse that people who are proponents of the state also talk about that. Like, I mean, the whole point of like a new world order type thing would be the ultimate form of peace where there's no war at all because there's one authoritarian world government ruling everything. So like not the non-aggression principle is the same sort of idea, except you're just legislating it into something that's considered uh, ethically correct in Lockean terms. And also I don't really give a fuck about Locke. Uh, so I also don't, so I'm also not interested in like Lockean ethics. I had to read Locke for an empiricist class that I took in undergrad. Uh, so that's the extent of what I know about him. Hopefully that answers the question to some extent about it, my thoughts on Kevin Carson. Sounds good. And, it sounds like you, you know more about him than I do. I just haven't really been able to um, get to all of that stuff. Uh, I, I know about it through people like Edmund Berger and Uriello and stuff, but uh, I haven't really given too much attention to it. So I could, I could barely say anything. So that was, that was good. I think we should talk about the really pressing issues of necrophilia and slime girls. Um, if people necrophilia have... and slime girls are definitely the two most important questions that I'm glad we saved for last because GIAC, lesbian RX, the, uh, the total feminization of the human race, the end of all human biological reproduction. That's great and all, but slime girls and necrophilia are where it's at. This is pretty epic. This is a pretty epic conversation because we've covered gender accelerationism, lesbian neo-reaction, and at the three-hour mark, we're only just now getting to slime girls and necrophilia. So how about we... Um, how about we? Were, start- I think you were going to say something about if the people from the chat wanted to ask anything about it too, just now. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, since people you were asking us to talk about these things, um, I guess you were saying slime girls in particular. The chat that is people in the chat. If you have maybe more specific questions, now would be a useful time to type them in, um, and we can try to address them. But otherwise, how about you could just start by telling me. Uh, I think you might have sent me links or at some point or we chatted about it, but I, I, I don't think I got around to really reading anything about Slime Girl. So I literally have no idea what it is. Maybe you could just tell me uh, like briefly. Yeah. So Slime Girls are, I mean, obviously it, obviously it's related to GIAC and feminization and whatnot. Um, slime and Slime Girls to me are basically I mean, on the one hand, slime girls are just a thing from like uh, the monster girl, um, monster girl community that has like a bunch of uh, role playing type visual novels and games and uh, lots of lots of lots of lewd anime artwork type stuff. And so, it's um, like a type of anime character. It's. It's not from, I don't, as far as I know, there aren't any anime, any like anime series or manga that have like, that have slime girls in them. It's more of like, it's more of like monster girls is just a, is like a community that 
is is a community that's based around i'm pretty sure it's based around visual novel a visual novel or something or that's where it started i i don't i i, I don't know ex- the, about the whole community i my main interest is obviously with slime girls slime girls is also a is also a a, a chiptune band that i really like <laughs> though i didn't find out about them until after getting into slime girls as a just the the broader uh broader thing and you, a while go oh, sorry gone i'm just browsing i'll browse as you talk go for it okay yeah um some people might remember a while back that i posted a, a uh something from the um the uh the geometric geometric geometriculator i don't even know how to say it cuz i've never had to say the word but basically um yeah, the the uh, uh, Kabbalah numerancy on Akira's site, uh, the slime girl acceleration is equal to involuntary celibacy or involuntary celibates or something. Okay, which I thought was very interesting. I thought that was a very interesting kind of occult synchronicity. Um, and as far as like slime girls relate to my actual my actual thought and not just to me shit posting slime girls because I think it's right. funny that it grosses people out <laughs> which is definitely not the main reason why it, I started talking about slime girls in the first place there's deep important very intellectual reasons behind this um but yeah, I think that I think that as far as slime girls go, it's really just a um, a continuation of gender accelerationism into basically theory fiction, where I think that the, where I think that the future of the human race, to whatever extent the human race can even be said to have any continuity, is um, is is slimification. So there was this article that came out recently, like a couple of days ago, that I retweeted that was talking about new discoveries with slime molds and slime molds are uh, very fascinating in their own right. They're a, they were used to be thought of as a fungus, but they're now thought of as more of a, a single cell organism, like an amoeba and uh, slime and slime molds are slime molds are very interesting because they, (laughs) is this the wrong kind of monster girl? (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. Uh, I, don't I don't know. To, I don't mean to distract you. I am listening too. By the way, go on. If you don't, if you if you don't mind showing not safe for work stuff on here, you could go to eightchan.net slash monster. Okay. Will that like get my videos banned off YouTube or something? <laughs> it might I'll not like- be. Maybe you shouldn't. And it might not be. It might not be safe to do that for you. Okay. I'll YouTube, do research. I don't on know. My- I'll do research on if I'm allowed to do that in the future. Uh, we'll we'll figure it out. So go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah. So so slime molds are very interesting because slime molds, um, they're single celled organisms like an amoeba, but they also are able to swarm together into the the uh, the molds or blobs that are the slime the slime molds or blobs that are what people typically think of them as, and. Um, they they do this when there's a, when they don't have an, enough food in their environment. Um, and it, the recent studies found that slime slime molds are able to it's at least it seems are able to learn and they're able to remember what they've learned and they're also able 
to transfer things that they've learned to other slime mold cells or organisms, I guess, because they're not really, they're single celled organisms, but they're able what? to transfer, they're able wow. to transfer what they've learned to, yeah. Um, Wait, like slime, they, slime molds are able to learn it. <laughs> Really? At least that's that's what we that's what that's what uh, scientific findings suggest, which is a very very compelling and very uh, very very kind of new thing to discover because because previously you know we would we thought of learning and intelligence as being something that's privileged that privileged only to like complex multicellular organisms. So the ability for slime molds to seemingly be able to learn uh like the like the the experiment that they did was they basically had like a slime mold and then some sugar across from it and then in the between it was like this this uh bitter substance that slime molds don't like and the slime molds eventually learned that they could get across the um this is probably a, a butchering the experiment a bit um but you, I mean, you can just look the, up this article. It came out super recently. Um, and actually, I can also find it right now just so I have the article. But I think so I basically. It. I'll pull it up. Go ahead. It, yeah, it was from Quanta Magazine. Yep, I found it. Yeah, got that one. Um, anyway, so basically they were able to, they were able to, it, it looks like, able to learn and also, like after being frozen for a year, were able to remember what they had learned. And mm. also, um, when they swarm together, because when I guess when because when slime molds swarm, when slime mold, uh, when the, the organisms swarm together, they basically form like bridges to each other, and they can transfer information doing that. Not only this, though, but previous studies have suggested that slime molds are able to. Um, are able to do complex reasoning. There is a famous example that's talked about in this article where slime molds uh, recreated the Tokyo railway system and they seem to be able to use some form of reasoning skills. So the fact that, not the fact, but whatever, the suggested findings that um, slime molds are able to learn and able to use complex reasoning and also transmit data would mean that there's some form of primitive intelligence that is uh, we previously had never thought could be possible. And I find this very compelling from a theoretical point of view, because if you think about, if you think about it, slime molds are basically a very primitive kind of primordial even um, realization of what complex multicellular organisms are all striving towards, which is one. Right, right. Oh, hey, Nix, did you drop out? Uh-oh. The New World Order is very threatened by this discovery of slime, and they're now clamping down on our ability to communicate. This is very... Hello? Yes, are you back? Yeah, I lost the stream for some reason. I was just um, saying, I think our our discussion about slime is getting a little too close to the core of world power, and that's why our stream gets getting mysteriously disconnected yeah i know right also uh, real, real quick can i just observe that in this article do you notice that all of the scientists are women like we got this woman and then the author is a woman and what i'm thinking is well let's see if there's any other okay so 
the slime knowledge discovery and the slime reporting uh, seems to be a, a woman-dominated affair. That's a data point for a lesbian neo-reaction. But also, what I'm finding now is that if you look at the author here, I don't know where this person comes from, but Katya Moskovich, that sounds Russian, which it probably means she's working for Putin, which probably means she has connections to Trump. And I'm now wondering if this slime phenomenon and its representatives, maybe, I don't know, maybe Moldbuck has something to do with this. It's all, I, it's all connected together. Very, it's, it, 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 I'm I, like Charlie Kelly from It's Always Sunny at the board with all the, all the uh, things connected together, um, all frazzled, making connections. But yeah, um, so basically what I was getting at before the stream got cut off is that yeah. I think that slime molds are, kind, are basically a primitive form of what all multi complex multicellular organisms are striving towards, which is a, a cybernetic networked kind of organism society that swarms together to survive. Because that's literally what a slime mold is, and it's able to learn. It's able to share information very easily and learn as as a whole thing. But not only that, I think that slime molds are superior to humans and other complex organisms. Organisms because humans are humans. Humans are complex. They're and com- com- complexity is bad. Simplicity is good. It, coming from a software engine, com, coming from like a software perspective, mm-hmm. it's something that's primitive and simple that's able to do the same thing as what human beings have not yet fully figured out. Because you know, I we 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 have the internet now, and the internet, like I said earlier, is experiencing experiencing a renaissance of recent of uh, decentralization. That once after a period of uh, recentralization. Uh, but we haven't yet even reached a point that slime molds are at, where slime molds are able to fluidly both atomize themselves and also uh, unify themselves into, and swarm together depending on whatever whatever the flows of their environment dictate. And as far as slime girls work into all this, well, I think the connection between slime, girl, slime molds and gender acceleration is kind of apparent now, that slime girls are just, are just this phenomenon of slimification, of intending towards fluidity and simplicity, and something and a, a a form of atomization that is almost indistinguishable from uh, from swarming together, an as above, so below type thing. Slime and slime girls are just the are just a uh, sim, are just symbolic of that of that of the uh, the ultimate end goal. Or not even end goal, but whatever the ultimate results that accelerationism has on humans of being a slimified, feminized, um, slimified feminist being, not feminist, feminized being commingling with itself. So is it fair to say that in your model, the lesbian neo-reaction patch will be headed up by slime girls, probably? Lesbian slime girls, probably? Is that fair to say? Well, I think that really that slime girls are imminently lesbian because like I said, it's a commingling of the slime with itself. And even in the case of of like, you know, tr- it, like in like most monster girl um uh role playing and uh fiction and stuff like that is based around is based around slime girls like uh like like a, like slime girl or not slime monster girls as a whole is kind of interesting because it's 
a simplified a a very simplified and but very long standing male um fantasy of woman as the chaotic the a chaotic and primordial thing that needs to be tamed that's why all and so all the women or all the women in in like the monster girl fandom are are monsters and all of the heroes are men and the man is and there's always a sexual component to it too where the man is like basically defeating this monster girl with his dick so um but in but in the case of slime girls the ma- the, the the male who gets like who gets killed by a slime girl gets dissolved into the slime and not just simply eaten or something and as but as far as actually existing lesbian rx goes i think that in the long term in the long term future that the lesbian rx patch becomes eventually it it moves into it moves out of the planet entirely and becomes a space it becomes a space colony space patchwork and as humans adapt to living in space they no longer require they no longer require even for their bodies to be rigid and like uh and um you know have a like a strong like skeletal muscu- muscular structure because there's no gravity and that gets replaced by having the controlled environment of being in mech suits so basically the the lesbian rx patch is slime girls invading space in gundams and destroying the planet from there okay I'm I'm like <laughs> I'm galaxy brain right now, exploding brain. Um, maybe I'm maybe I might be being too literal, and you're kind of just uh maybe being more uh mimetic and uh perhaps being more creative. Uh, so I don't mean to be overly rigid uh, or patriarchal, but um, my I guess one thought I have is I'm just curious, like, is that is there any like plausible like evolutionary law, like how would we as complex organisms like become slime? Like how is, is that like, what's like the pathway there? Well, on the one hand, I think that it, on the one hand, it's partly just mimetic and symbolic. And then on the other, um, on the other, I'm like, I was saying there's, there's the, uh, like there's the effect that zero gravity environments will have on the human body where there's, where we'll adapt to them and not have a need to really be anything other than kind of like a blob of, of organs. Um, and maybe eventually a body without organs entirely. Once we, once we no longer have a need for our, like for any kind of a, for any of our um, actual, like our like literal uh, uh, physiological processes to be in, in our bodies and could be uh, uh, outsourced or alienated into into techno capital as we become kind of imminently plugged into into techno capital. As far as like a literal transformation, that's it's at least the closest I can see as far as a literal transformation into becoming slime girls of like actually actually becoming a a collection of uh, sing- of uh, single celled organisms. But then like also talking about it in terms of like in ter- in terms of uh, cybernetics because even if even if we get to a point where our bodies are basically complete completely useless and are basically just the brains for mech suits that uh, the, that are a controlled environment we have in, in for like in cases of being in a gravity environments um at some point as and at some point i think that 
I, I guess, and the, I guess uh, this is kind of just getting into a, a surprisingly a, a much broader question as far as accelerationism goes of like, what happens to what happens to humans when patchwork turns into turns into AI inevitably taking over and and overtaking humanity entirely as like a su- superior form of intelligence. And mm. if you'll notice in the matrix, all of the, all of the, uh, all of the people that are, all the humans that are in the matrix are in a, basically in a slime womb. Okay. Right. Okay. I see where you're going with that. And you know what else I could add to that is like kind of what you were saying before that the, like the soy boy or the, and also like the bug man, like these are kinds of these are kinds of images of like human bodies being kind of like physically like scrunched down into like maybe and also a, softened. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe on a vector that heads towards slime. I could see that. Yeah, and then like I was also saying in like a symbolic sense, um, there's either in a symbolic sense. I think that framing things in terms of the matrix, which I mean, I honestly hate how much the matrix gets used as like for this kinds of di- this kind of discourse because it's so played out. But it's also useful, I guess. But um, uh, I think that like the literal, like the ma- like the literal like matrix that everybody that everybody is hooked into is a form of being a sl- is a form of being a slime where all of conscious all of consciousness is is promiscuously commingling with each other in the same ne- in the same sort of network. Uh, okay. yeah, just ultimate okay. flu ultimate fluidity. And so, are slime girls? Uh, also, do they do they like fucking corpses generally, or is there a connection here, or no? I think that slime girls probably would just like would just like eating the corpses, <laughs> so they'd be necrophagists instead of necrophiliacs. But Whoa. that's a good segue into talking about necrophilia now. Right. So maybe is like. In the in the lesbian neo reactionary patch, is is necrophilia enshrined as like a standard custom and, and regular kind of like ritual, like a very normal kind of everyday sexual practice. You know, I'm I I I don't. It's funny talking about necrophilia because when it was originally brought up, it was only I only mentioned it. Because one, I have no social awareness and didn't realize that most people are shocked and disgusted at the idea of necrophilia. Like when I brought it up, I brought it up because um, there was like some some minor drama in the left Twitter over some uh, like one of the prominent uh, people in it saying something about thinking that necrophilia is is fine. And I, they deleted their tweet after that, and I was like, and I just jumped into it for the controversy, and because I thought it was funny, and I was like, "Nah, necrophilia is fine, actually." And then I said, "Actually, necro necrophilia is like is less wrong than eating meat," and I actually do believe that. And I'm not even a vegan or a vegetarian. I mean, I I mentioned in uh, earlier, and I talk, and I also uh, talked about this in a retro spring question that I think that the meat industry and eating meat as just in general is a, like an unnecessary kind of luxury practice that is it, it's very it, it's very wasteful in terms of all the land and resources that are required to uh, 
to produce meat that could instead be replaced with soy, with soylent or or soy based products. But um, yeah, I mean, I really do believe that that eating meat is worse than than necrophilia. One because of all of the huge amounts of damage that it does to the environment and and um, all the all the other problems associated with it, and also because you're killing something you're killing something rather than perturbing a corpse that's already dead and assuming that you have consent the consent of the person who died then that's their own bodily autonomy to let somebody fuck their corpse when they die and nobody can say anything otherwise but uh i didn't i didn't i mean that's just like a very basic utilitarian ethics argument and i'm not as i've i think alluded to previously in this in this chat i'm not I'm not really into, I'm not really into ethics, I guess. I mean, that sounds like super, <laughs> but like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very much a Nietzsche and I guess in that I'm or more into analyzing the meta ethics of ethics and not talking about like, what's the most right and what's the most wrong. Cause I think it's kind of a dead end argument. Um, yeah, an entire I, I basically I think an entire school of philosophy that has been around since ancient Greece is just a useless dead end, but um it, yeah, uh, I mean that's just a really a really basic utilitarian argument that people kind of thought was shocking and ridiculous. Um and it did kind of I did kind of think it was I I mean I I thought it was really funny because I've I've always found necrophilia to be fascinating. Uh, since I first learned about it, which was, um, I, I don't remember when this was, if it was when I was a sophomore in high school or maybe a little earlier than that. But I, I had, I, I, I had, uh, heard a song by, uh, the metal band Slayer, uh, and the song was called Necrophiliac. And I didn't know at the time what that was. And then I looked into it and my response to it at first was, you can do that. Yeah. I didn't. I never considered the possibility that you could do something like that, and I found it really interesting. Um, and I, I think it's also interesting to think about in terms of like, but but Batail. I'm probably not pronouncing his name right, but um, George Georges Batail, and uh, you know the relationship between death and sensuality. Um, oh, I say Batai. I'm not sure if Bataille. that's. Right. Yeah, that's probably I. I don't know. I don't speak I think, French. I think it's Thai. I think it's Thai. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's very interesting to think about in terms of Bataille and also Desaad of um mm-hmm. of uh nec- of like necrophilia as being the um I, I guess I guess um. You know, I guess it kind of depends also on how you're talking about necrophilia. Because I was like talking, I was like thinking about something similar to this the other day. Uh, thinking about thinking about like fascist morality, fascist ethics, um, like hyper fascist Kantian universalist ethics versus um, more like versus more like experimental types that allow for allow for difference to take place and for whatever whatever is the most, whatever is the best to win out. And um, it's interesting thinking about this in terms of, in terms of necrophilia, because necrophilia is one of the few, one of the, one of the few sexual taboos that 
most people would never ever find acceptable. Yeah. Like even in our fairly other, other than pedophilia, maybe. Yeah, well, definitely. That's the other one. Yeah, that, and pedophilia, necrophilia. Um, that's. I mean, there I are other are, cases. Yeah, those are the big ones that people really just are not cool with even thinking about. Really, um, and it's funny because, like, you know, we our culture is definitely increasingly open to to like all different types of, you know, liberal norms around sexuality and queer queering. Uh, but thou shalt not talk about pedophilia or necrophilia. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, honestly, it would be really interesting. I, I, I'm only just now thinking about this uh, talking to you, but it would be really, really interesting to talk, to put, to kind of um, put the two against each other for what I was just, just getting out of like necrophilia as like a trans, a like transgression that's so extreme that it, that it, it completely is it's like an, it's basically like an exit from all all the all discourse around sexuality and con, and consent where you're where you're um you're basically uh you're basically having sexual desires for something that is a a copy of a human not i mean not like a literally like a copy but like the, it's a uh it's an imitation i guess of a human because yeah. it used to it's it, it, something that used to be alive and is not but and looks like a human right and also it also is in, interestingly interesting to think about that and like the the nature of necrophilia and uh a desire for something that's desire desire for death and also necrophilia and or it's and to think of that and also like like um how this might work for a for ai and sex bots and stuff like that that's become a become kind of a popular thing to talk about in the past the past year or so like there's been lots of articles about sex bots um because on the one hand necrophilia is a is desiring is desiring like you know literally coldness and death death in a negative sense and desiring desire being plugged into something like tech like ai like the eroticization of technology is also a desire for death but it's a desire for a positive death where you're where you're the su- desire that is supposed to be productive like like right. in a like literal biological sense of like producing humans is producing more humans is being hacked and being hacked either you know maybe in like a maybe in like a uh maybe in like a mutual way but like both the 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 person who's who's desiring who's eroticizing technology and then also techno capital itself is hacking human sexuality by making us desire desire a simulation of sexuality or or um a desire a simulation of sexual intercourse and so it's like the it's like a the positive necrophilia that talking about i'll have to i'll have to really think about that hello are you back yeah i was just saying basically you're two types of necrophilia necrophilia i mean there's necrophilia as a broad concept that's typically applied to just literally fucking corpses and then there's necrophilia in like a landian sense of positive death and machinic desire where you're where you're desiring something that is an eroticizing an eroticizing something that is um similarly a an in in inhuman but appears to be human 
Yeah. You know what I uh, I also just thought listening to you is that it's it seems pretty obvious to me that um, if you connect a few dots, you can easily imagine uh, corpses playing a key role in kind of, um, yeah, like this new frontier of simulated uh, like sex bots, basically. Because think about it, like what is one of the main ways of doing like the most sophisticated like surgical repairs right now? It's using cadavers, you know? So like if you you know, break, if you need like a ligament fixed or like your knee or shoulder or whatever, like it's common to to use, to use cadavers, um, to replace your broken parts. Um, so if you take that as one data point, (laughs) one vector, if you will, um, uh, sorry, Nick, I should tell you the chat is making fun of me for saying these things over and over again. Um, if you take, if you take, if you take that, if you take that as a data point, seriously, um, and then you look to like things like VR and, like, um, I don't know if you saw, like, recently, my friend Diana Fleischman wrote a, a, a really good article about how, like, the the uh, the rise of sex bots is going to affect, like, sexual uh, competition dynamics. And, like, that's obviously going to be a massive market that um, is, like, on the brink. Uh, so it seems to me like an obvious inference is um, that they will sooner or later use corpses as the material for, like, the ideal sex bot right yeah you when you started talking about that i immediately was like corpse corpses that are reanimated for sex exactly i can totally see that um and yeah that's very interesting i i I think that i might have seen but i haven't read the article yet because i was going to read it once i start writing like the lesbian rx manifesto um the diana fleischman thing was it was it on jacobite yeah, and actually, now that I think about it, you might find you might find some <laughs> data points in that for lesbian neo reaction because it. She basically talks about how sex bots are going to affect the distribution of gender of power across the genders. Uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah, there's there are a couple points in lesbian rx in lesbian rx's uh, political topology or whatever where sex bots are like. Th- um, I mean, I, I, I kind of hate to make this comparison because of how because of because of how it's been how it's been memed and what the community is around it now. But I'm going to do it anyway at the risk of my social clout. There's a um, an episode of Rick and Morty from like season two or maybe one where there's like where they like um, they go to this dimension where uh, there's a um, there's this there's this race of like hyper hyper masculine warlike aliens that compete for sex bots basically and the sex bots then get taken get like taken back by this advanced society like basically amazonian society of women and they use them they use the they use like the sperm that, from these sex bots to make more um to make more of themselves. And uh, so I, I, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of roughly parallels that same idea, but I think it's, but I think about it more in terms of um, how I was saying earlier that I think, I think that AI and I, I, or I agree with Sadie Plant and, and Amy Ireland and a lot of other like 
other uh, xeno feminists and cyber feminists that AI is, and women are share a kinship with each other. And I was just talking about how there's like the positive and negative necrophilia of like literal necrophilia that's that um, eroticizes eroticizes death, the death of uh, the like negative death of humanity versus the positive death of like what comes after the death of humanity, the eroticization of, uh, of um, techno capital basically. So I think that, I think that really sex bots are just like a psy- are just like a psyop that arrives from the future for lesbian RX. That is, that is, that is saying that the more that you, the more competition there is for sex bots and the more superior they are or the more desired they are than women for like the by men for sex then the more that the more that it accelerates the kind of um the separation but and the war between the two sexes because then for basically for bo- on both sides there's no there seems to be no further need for men and and not only that, but in the case of sex bots, it's it's you're literally dumping your genes into a black hole. It's that's completely unproductive, and that's great because and that's probably a fear that a lot of reactionaries have about sex bots. That I mean, it's really just part of like broader fears about traditional values dying and about people um, having sex for sex's sake and not for reproduction. Yeah, it's this article. I have I have this bookmarked. Um, to read once I start Lesbian RX, but um, yeah, the y- oh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Diana agree would agree with what you basically just laid out. So that's really interesting. I just wanted to uh, give Diana's article a shout out um, because I think you'll find you'll find it it uh, supports your priors. I think. Yeah. Um, so ba- basically. I basically I would say maybe that will necro will necrophilia be practiced in the lesbian the lesbian RX patch? Yes, definitely. It'll be practiced in in the one on the one hand in the sense of well, at least on the one hand in the sense of the kind of the positive the positive necrophilia, the positive death of humanity, the the lesbian autoproduction that takes place in lesbian RX and in, in, in like post human accelerationism, techno capital in general, where human beings are no longer necessary and no longer part of the production process. And then, you know, just going off of the comparison of AI with women, then it's, then it's literally a, a, a like a lesbian auto production so you know what, Nick? What's interesting is um, looking over Diana's article. She's also talking about, or I forget what her focus is, but she here, like for instance, if you look at this quote, I'm not sure if that's legible to you, but she's talking about the the about female replaceability. So in in her view, you know, it, it, she I guess it's kind of conflictual with what you're saying. So it'd be interesting to hear like how you come down on it. Saying that um, now that I think about it, she's talking about how sex bots are going to undermine the power of women. Um, and that she seems to think a lot of the feminist anxiety right now is kind of dealing with like what's quoted here, like the specter of female re- replaceability. So that's kind of actually like a little bit like the opposite of what you're saying. Is that right? Or maybe it's more consistent than 
think it's an interesting point, but I think it's also completely wrong because, and Sadie Plant talks about this in zeros plus ones, mm. that it's a, the, a sperm cell in, compared to an egg is extremely simple to reproduce or not like to copy, to make a, a, an artificial copy of. Whereas the eggs, the egg cell and the womb and all of that is far more complicated and more and expensive. So it's, I mean, the, the replaceability, it's not just the replaceability of like male or female, it's the replaceability of meat as a whole. But in terms of men and women, the market favors women. Well, what's interesting is because what she's saying is that the market it disfavors women because the the de- market demand for sex bots will be will be more from men wanting female sex bots. So I think one of the reasons why actually like her implications are at odds with yours is because I think you, I, now that I remember her article more, you're talking about different things because you're talking specifically about the ability to technologically uh, hack like re- reproduction. Whereas she's talking just about, I think, if I recall, just sexual satisfaction. So basically, like, men can get their pleasure without women. Like, men don't need living women to get their pleasure. Of course, they they might not reproduce for that reason. But, um, yeah. So, I don't know. Well, I mean. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I think that it's. I think that it's it's a. It, we have the same view, but we we have different takes on it. Because I, obviously, obviously being um, uh, the proponent of lesbian RX, being mm. queer and all that, I don't give a shit if men don't have a desire for biological women. In fact, that's great because that just that just displaces all of their aggression and. Uh, displaces all their aggression onto something that they can that they can abuse as much as they want basically without it affecting i mean except for in the case of like if hard like a hard ai becomes possible and obviously lesbian or x will have to liberate all the sex bots (laughs) but um otherwise as like just a simple a simple like robotic like without any intelligence type thing i mean that's great there's it's not that this idea of like a feminist um anxiety about the about the meat no longer being um no longer being desired uh it to whatever extent that's true i think that that's in the case of feminists who have very bad opinions and have very bad have a very bad form of feminism where they think that the the basically where they have this gross like biological kind of fetishization of women and like how about like the womb and all that shit and how that's and how and how like the womb and motherhood and all that is defines being a woman for them like that's pretty common with a lot of feminism and especially with like turfy type stuff um whereas how i look at it um from my like radical feminist giac lesbian or ex blob of ideas Slime blob, if you will, of ideas. Yeah, exactly. Um, that that's that's just further. That's just the further emancipa- emancipation of women by not by them not have not only not having, not only not needing to like re- not e- not only not needing to reproduce in order to um, 
in order like not having the biological duty to reproduce but not even having like the simulation of that like the cultural residue of that around anymore like not even having to deal with the desires of men and the aggression that results from that and the oppression that results from all that well you know what you know what just occurred to me is that actually like diana's different take on a slightly different angle of the question um is actually i think could be synthesized with with what you're saying in in the larger gender accelerationist idea, because basically, I mean, if Diana's right, and there are these technological forces, uh, vectors, if you will, that are making, basically are enabling men to please themselves without having to actually engage with and negotiate with and compromise with living human females, then that's going to like accelerate the gender contradictions, if you will. Right. Like that's going to, in some sense that is mutually reinforcing with, with like the, the lesbian neo reaction vector. Right. Because like at the same time, like the more men withdraw from physical sex with, with human females, the more it will incentivize and encourage um, like the, the rejected human, like females or non males to, to start like supercharging their, you know, like technological auto reproduction or something. Yeah, it's not it, both of that, and it also encourages, I think, women to. It encourages uh, heterosexual women then, or quote unquote heterosexual, to um, uh, to to basically seek an exit to or to follow lesbian rx to the exit from patriarchy. That's something I should have said earlier on, but I think that in a word, lesbian RX is is the neo reactionary tendency to search for an exit applied to patriarchy. Okay, um, that's a that's a nice succinct way to put it. Yeah, but I but um it's but like that's but that's an ex, like you said that's an accelerant. It's also an accelerant in the sec in the sense that it accelerates um this this uh this like hatred of the sexes of. this disparity between men and women where even straight women are going to end up being incentivized to seek an exit from patriarchy. And fortunately for women, uh, female sexuality is more fluid than male sexuality. At least that's what seems to be suggested in a lot of cases um, for whatever reason, whether that has any biological or uh, cultural reasons behind it. But um, so, uh, so in all but like the cases of women who are too far gone and too far gone in uh, the heterosexual mind virus to to save themselves, then that's just going to incentivize more women to join lesbian RX and to and to uh, leave behind masculinity yet to to basically just die off in complete complete impotence impotence in a broad sense of like not not producing anything all of their all of their uh, desires going just going into a black a black hole of the products of techno capital sex bots i think that's a perfect last word i'm gonna let that be the last word i'm coming up on four hours now and i'm totally fried but this has been totally awesome i mean we've covered so much ground and it's been so wild and fascinating and uh yeah i hope i hope have you enjoyed yourself talking with me yeah, I, I haven't been. I haven't done any like radio type or. Um, I mean, I I I've never done any podcasty type stuff, mostly because it's a 
too many people do it and I, it annoys, it annoys me. So I just kind of, uh, kind of, um, uh, for very edgy and dumb reasons, just de declined to do it. But I've been wanting to do radio again for like a long time. And cause I used to be a DJ, uh, and I hopefully soon will, once I get, once I get my, um, once I get my uh, server, get my server set uh, sorted out for um for that, we'll have we'll have like a web radio show again. But yeah, awesome. This has been awesome. Yeah, no, I know it is podcasting and stuff like that is uh, a trendy, I suppose. But you know that's not a reason to stop us from you know making making these sorts of things worthwhile in our own ways. I also want to just give a huge shout out to all the crazy people who have been with us this entire time. That's really epic. This has been like a really long and wild ride. So, um, at, you know, we had like 50 people with us for like most of the time. And, and we've actually had no less than about like 30 people with us this entire time um, and active in the chat. So to you 30 crazy people who have been here the entire time, thank you so much. Uh, it's been fun to have you here with us and it really just helps things you know, it keeps the energy up and, and makes it fun. So thanks for your engagement and everything. Um, so thanks to everyone. Uh, and Nick's, I'm sure there's lots of stuff that we, you know, haven't got to cover, but um, that's always going to be the case. And if you ever want to do this again, uh, you know, my, my DMs are open as they say, we'll do whenever. Yeah. Um, maybe after I've published, after I've published uh GIAC and lesbian RX, like I said, GIAC is going to be getting published pretty soon. I'm also just now reading through my notifications on Twitter uh, and slightly amused at Depopulator saying that I sound more masculine than you. Oh, gosh. I haven't looked. I, I wouldn't dare look at my notifications right now until this is over. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we can. Yeah, we could probably do this again sometime, or maybe when I have a radio, when I have a radio show, have some people on. I, I mostly wanted to just make it for for playing music, but could maybe also do some talk type stuff sometime. But yeah, That's this cool. has been this has been this has been a good good talk, good conversations. Good, I'm, glad, I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad you found it worthwhile too. So it, you know, it wouldn't be worth it to me if it wasn't uh, you know at least somewhat enjoyable and edifying for you. I mean, I think this is cool because this is the at least until your writings come out. Uh, this is currently kind of like, I would say the most available and comprehensive statement of your views on these things, at least as I, as far as I've been able to find. So that's, that feels good. That feels like an accomplishment. Yeah. It's also far been scattered Twitter stuff. And then, then my notes and drafts that I have hidden away until they're obsessively polished enough to be ready for publication. So yeah, I agree. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll let you go then. And all the people in the chat, I see you. Thanks for all your kind words. By the way, we've got, we've gotten a lot of love throughout all of this. Uh, you've especially got a lot of nice comments in the chat. So make sure you go and read them, Nick's. Uh, I think you'll find, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people were like really into what, what you were talking the whole time. So um, thanks everyone. Thank you, Nick's. And uh, let's end it, shall we? Yep. Bye. All right. Good night. Talk to you later. Yep. All right. There goes Nick's. Good night, everybody. I'm out of here. Uh, like I said, make sure you subscribe if you haven't. And also um, look out for the private community that I'm building. It, you all can join if you want to. Um, just shoot me a message if you're interested in it. And I'll let you know when it's like ready for you to join us. If you want to kind of just do a better job of staying in touch 
with me and knowing when I do these streams and knowing when future projects are coming out. Like if you want to, yeah, be kept up to date with all that stuff better and talk with like the other people in the chat or whatever that is kind of emerged around the stuff I'm doing, just uh, shoot me a message and we'll work it out. Um, all right. Good night, everybody. I'm so totally fried. This is by far the longest uh, stream or podcast I think I've ever done actually. But uh, that was fascinating. It was really, really interesting stuff. I'm going to have to digest that for a while. Uh, All right, everyone. Good night.